welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. Tonight we are going to be talking about ways that you can market yourself and uh, just how you could, I guess in a way, how you would do uh, reptiles full-time you know, what are some of the thoughts uh, behind, you know, marketing? What does that even mean? What does that mean, mm. Owen? <laughs> it, it means something. And, I mean, this isn't the first show that we've done on this topic, but I like it when we do multiple shows on a certain because, like, we get multiple angles, multiple opinions. And this is definitely one of the there, – there are so many skin the cat. So, you know, it, it's cool – to kind of get uh, Garrett's idea about this stuff. so Yeah, so, um, you know, Garrett had uh, talked to me about this, but, um, and, and, and saying that he thinks it would be, it would be a good idea for a show, and I, and I agree. But the reason that uh, I think Garrett's a good pick for this is, I don't know if you've seen his, well, for one, he has to set up at his, uh, you know, at his shows, he goes to a show, which is completely different than anything you that I've ever seen. Um, you've seen it, Owen. You were out there at Tinley, right? You saw it yes. in person, right? Right. Yes, I did. Um, yeah. Oh, I saw <laughs> half of it. Apparently, right. he, apparently, he couldn't get the other half out on the floor. But even then, it was a breath of fresh air in like table after table after table of acrylic displays, acrylic displays, acrylic displays. Holy crap, like this guy's table's gone, and there's like a pedestal <laughs> of retics, and everything's all wood, and it's like, all right. So, yeah, I mean, and it almost like to get in there to see the animals, you're kind of almost forced into Garrett's little uh, cul-de-sac he has. So, of course, he's like, ah, cool, hi, come check this out. And it draws – I almost bought some retics right there. Terrible. I had to run yeah. screaming from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, you buying a retic. <laughs> are you there? Did you hang yeah, up? I'm right here. I'm right here. <laughs> I thought you hung Why up. Why are you because so I said you worried? <laughs> Every time I stop talking, you freak out. I don't I know. You say your piece. It's called a it's... back and forth. Jesus Christ. We've been doing this for six years. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it takes a long time, but, uh, um, I think, I think another thing, um, you know, like trying to get your name out there is, uh, you know, you should check out Garrett's YouTube videos. Uh, he did one, uh, maybe it was a week ago. Uh, maybe yeah. it was two weeks ago about, uh, egg incubation, shipping, really detailed, really, 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 uh, really well, well done, um, stuff. So. We'll get him on in a minute. We'll get it going. Uh, I had my first clutch hatch out. How about that? Solve it. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your little internally incubated IJs. It was, you know, everything you ever dreamed of. Like, oh, yeah. It was nice. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was definitely cool. Uh, it's always a cool, cool, cool sight to see those little babies uh, pipping out. So it was... Um, <laughs> Incubation, maternal incubation success, not success. success. <laughs> it was yeah. maternal incubation success. All right. Well, that was, and they look, they look like big babies, like healthy yeah, big I was, babies. 
So this is the weirdest thing. So typically yeah. you probably uh, would say the same thing. Carpets usually tend to hatch out. They're like maybe 20, 27 grams, somewhere in that area. 35 right. grams these babies were. Holy balls. Yeah. Yeah, and that's big. Now, now these were like, I know, the, I know you said the male was your tiger, IJ? Yes. Yeah. He's a big male. I yes. mean, he's like the biggest IJ I've ever seen. Um, so it, I don't know if that has something to do with it. If just like, you know, you may have now bred mutant IJs that are going to get like daddy size or, you know, they just a bunch of big babies. So. Well, funny thing is, Garrett would probably yeah. have, uh, he would probably uh, chime in on that uh, because uh, one of his episodes talked about that with retics because with the dwarf retics, a lot of times breeding, it's actually the female, uh, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with the retics and you're breeding, uh, if you're breeding like a, a dwarf to a mainland uh, female, then you're really not going to get like really small. Whereas if you breed the female and she's on the smaller side, usually end up with smaller babies, but there you go. So what's up with you, man? How's this, how's things shaking for you? Well, unfortunately it's looking like, uh, my first clutch of the season is going wrong on me. Uh, oh, shit. There. Yeah. It's they, they, they look like they're almost all completely infertile. Uh, so candling them, I got no veins and they're starting to go real bad, denting, uh, a little bit of mold. So it's like, all right, this is another kick in the teeth. Um, but I tried to feed my Woma female today and mm-hmm. she has never, never refused food. Never. She bit it. She wrapped it. She dropped it. She went back in her, back in her, uh, uh, nest box. And just left the rat there. And I'm like, oh, all right, I guess you're, she's not eating. And then I caught my super caramel girl bass belly up uh, about an hour ago. So Who was I'm locked up? a little bit. Dis- uh, well, no, she was ba- the uh, super caramel girl was basking belly up. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm a little disappointed that like the jungle clutch might be going wrong, but it's like, there's hope on the horizon. So maybe I'll start getting, you know, eggs, see what's going on there. But <laughs> other than that, dude, I got nothing. And then I'm heading out to uh, White Plains this weekend. So I was going to see what's going on out there. Cool. All right. I didn't know it was this weekend, but uh, awesome. Neither did I until <laughs> a customer that I'm supposed to meet up there reminded me. So it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so glad that yeah. happened like now. Yeah, today was uh, my first um, my first experience. Of what next like six months of my life is going to be like setting up babies, <laughs> taking pictures and IDing them, sexing them, you know, all that kind of stuff, getting them settled in. It's, oh man, it's, you're, you're going to be doing it in August, you know, with all the yeah. eggs that you have. It's never going to end for you. So, and then <laughs> right when you're finished. Right when you're done, Matt's going to be like, you want to come over and sex bloods? And you get to go do that rigmarole with him. And, you know, it's just, it's never going to end for you. Yeah, I'm going to YouTube that. That's going to be fun. 
you know. Uh, that horror get, show? That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> man. You get bit like crazy, uh, pissed, pissed and shit on. on the rain coat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, grab him like a venomous. <laughs> you know? But, uh, so I still have uh, three females that could possibly lay. I did have nice. I didn't I didn't really talk about this, but I guess I will and then we'll get Garrett on. But um so I had that caramel girl that um yeah. remember I was telling you that well you remember her because she was the one that got I that do. one egg that was kind of twisted up, you know, blah blah blah. Yeah. So she laid she started to lay, she laid a clutch, she didn't really wrap them uh-huh. that well. So I kinda okay. I pulled them. And I was thinking maybe I caught her like mid lay, you know, and I right. kind of like messed her up. I made a bad mistake, man. I waited, uh, and she must have tore something or whatever. Uh, I don't even know if no. I could have fixed anything, but uh, she didn't make it. Luckily, I did get five uh. eggs from her, but uh, you know that's that's kind of the the sucky part of breeding that a lot of people don't talk about, you know. Um, yeah. So like a lot of people would look at my Facebook page and they'd be like, Oh my God, Eric, you're having a great season. But when something like that happens, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind yeah. of a bummer and it kind of sucks. Well, but uh, I mean, and it's like, she had complications before, so it's not uh, in the realm of something that something could have happened again. I mean, you never yeah. know. Uh, and, and, and it's like, we're talking, we're sitting here and we're talking earlier about how like I have, no eggs, but it's because my one female that would normally drop like 30 eggs and usually drop it before everyone else in my collection uh, collapsed her uterus last year. So she got retired. So it's like I'm sitting here going like, I have no eggs. Well, there's a really good reason I have no eggs. So, you know, it, it it's again, it, you're, like you said, it's the, the other side stuff that you know, we don't really talk about and it's good that you yeah. are because breeding is probably the most dangerous thing you could do to your snake collection because a lot of stuff can go wrong. You know, males can get killed by females, females, males, females uh, get, 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 um, die of, uh, egg binding. You know, it, it's kind of how it goes. So, yeah, yeah, it it really does kind of suck, but um it's the same thing with um so my M pen female, she's officially retired. Um she uh, so she slugged out, which was okay, mm-hmm. but then she had one retained so it's weird because she has one retained egg right at the end of her tail, like right there, which is uh um everybody's getting sort of a spotty connection, which kind of sucks. I don't yeah. know. Hopefully they yeah. can hear me now. I know. I don't know if that was you. When I'm hearing you, Owen, sometimes it's uh, kind of spotty, but we seem like we're good now. Yeah, but, but don't a lot move. of times I notice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't move at all. <laughs> all right. So I'm not. But a lot of times when you and I are spotty, it's not spotty for everybody else. So I kind of just ignore it. So. But if everybody yeah. else is getting spotty, it's definitely blog talk on that point. So we apologize for that. And hopefully if I don't move and wrap this tinfoil around my head, everything will work better. 
See, it's the tinfoil. That's what's happening, yeah. Brandon. I've wrapped my head in tinfoil. So we are perfectly I'm still. Not don't move. move. <laughs> yep. So anyway, this uh, is a professional email. podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> so this female, um, you know how cool she is, and it kind of sucks. But I do have coastals yeah. that I can kind of like work around and try to recreate that look. But uh, I would hate to lose her for something like that. So yes. I officially. Uh, Officially retired her, but uh, the male still in good shape. I mean, do you feel like we're kind of not in the norm because we potentially retire animals because we don't want them to, you know, die <laughs> when it comes to that? Or, I mean, I know it, when it comes also to that is that uh, I, I imagine a lot of the bigger breeders out there, when they retire animals they, they, as pets or whatever the hell, and... I've never done that. They just hang with me. I have four retirees that are just here taking up cages space. So, yeah, well, I don't know. That's something that we can get into uh, because, you know, again, when you would be doing this full time, you have to constantly, well, I shouldn't say you have to, let me rephrase that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's commonplace to upgrade your stock. Meaning that if you're yeah. starting with a jag head exanic and you have a head exanic and you breed it and you make an exanic, you know, you kind of like somebody's leaving. Yeah. You're it's using that exanic now, you know, instead of uh, using the head, you know, that kind of thing. Um, right. I don't know. In the ballpark. Cage space is important. You know, you need, yeah. you need a cage. Why, why have it fill up with like a head when you have visual and, you know, all that fun stuff. So I guess in that retrospect, you, you would depart a lot of animals. Yeah. So yeah, that's something. So I was telling Owen before we started. So I am like trying to tell me Garrett. (laughs) No, 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 no. I was was telling the audience. Holy shit. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I was talking to Owen before we started the show. And one of the things that we were talking about is, you know, where do we go with, uh, with the podcast? Do we go to where we're doing it? Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's better sounding, uh, but it's not live and we could still up upload it to blog talk. Anyway, I started messing around with some stuff and I have the equipment to do it with my computer and I'm going to do a test, uh, this week. And, uh, just so you guys can hear it and maybe you can weigh in and I definitely want you to hear it, Owen. So you can weigh in, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, your 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 opinion matters <laughs> probably more than anybody's. But oh, thank God! Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, after all this time, I was right. so hopeful. So uh, it would be a major a major upgrade. I think probably part of the reason that uh, we haven't done it for such a long time is really the archives of six years of episodes. What are we on? Like three hundred and forty third episode. To upload. Oh my God. I mean, back in the day, we did what, three hour shows? Now we're doing two hour shows. But, you know, I mean, that's so much time that I just do not have to do that. So I really mm. didn't want to move away from Blog Talk, but there is a way that you can upload the show. But then the problem is we kind of mm. lose that live, live thing. So. But we haven't really I had, I mean, if you go through the show, which I know Rob Stone is listening and he has. There's only a handful of time where we've really had the live thing come in handy where people can call in. I mean, obviously, there are the questions in the chat, 
which is unfortunate. But I don't know. We're kind of on the fence here. I would I, I lean towards the better sound quality, better product to put out for you guys over having the live interaction. So we'll I do too. I do Thank too. So I got a, I got a lot of stuff to research, but we're going to do, I'm going to do that. Uh, obviously because of the way it's recorded, it will just be me, but, um, so don't judge me when I'm just talking to myself. I but, judge uh, harshly. <laughs> I have to, otherwise you'll get rid of me. Like it has, well, if is, I listen to that, I'm like, God damn, he's better than this alone. Then I'm, I'm out. <laughs> like, so that's no uh, good. No. <laughs> uh, so, so the one thing that I definitely wanted to talk about on that would be, um, you know, just my direction in particular and like where I see myself going. And, you know, that question that you just asked is sort of like hit that, um, you know, right. it was, uh, one of those things like, you know, I have all these hats and stuff and I just find myself moving away from, from the cross stuff because, uh, man, there's so much selective breeding that can be done with with, you know, poplins, carpets, and even coastals and inlands. And, you know, I've said it a million times, but, like, that requires space. It does. <laughs> and, you know, I can't have, I guess, every single project. Yeah, 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 you do. So, you know, and, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. So that's what I'm going to talk about, so be looking for that. But anyway, let's get Garrett Got on it. here. Let's get this going. Yeah, nobody wants to hear us. Yeah, (laughs) welcome back to Early Python Radio. How you doing, man? Pretty good. How you guys doing? I'm doing all right. Excellent. All right. Thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Of course. Absolutely. So, you know, we're going to talk about marketing and all that kind of stuff, but why don't we start at the beginning for people that may not know, you know, what is marketing? Like, what does that encompass? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh well it's a nice soft question to start yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it is a, i mean it's an essential question though because I, I think uh people ask when you when you talk about okay how to market your reptiles that's like looking at something under a magnifying glass you know that's extremely specific um there's a lot of things that you can do to track your marketing efforts and and make them more efficient and stuff but um, the reason why I like that you ask that is because, uh, because I think a lot of times people – I know for me when, when people come to me and they want to ask questions about marketing, they're trying to – what they're really trying to ask is how can I make money with my reptile, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that is a, a much broader question because it may or may not involve marketing at all. Right. So, you know, right. uh, I think I think a lot of times the dream for a lot of people, I know it was for me for a lot of years, the dream that I was afraid of dream slash nightmare is, uh, hmm. you know, can I can I do this full time? How cool would that be? Yeah. I mean, uh, do, do either of you got not like you got to forgive me because I, I don't know the whole setup, but Eric, Owen, do you guys breed reptiles full time? No, I do not. I uh am a nationwide insurance agent by day. There you go. And uh okay. yeah. So there you go. Batman by <laughs> night and breeding reptiles. Yeah, oh yeah, between. definitely. And then I do reptiles in the in between. Yeah. So. You know, between between the show and my reptiles, I feel like I do this full time, but no, I have a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so it's a, I mean, it's a big deal when you unplug yourself from that steady income and yeah. sink or swim, baby, right? I mean... Oh, that, that'd be terrifying. I, oh, my God. It is oh. terrifying. <laughs> Let me tell you, as somebody who did this in the middle of their wife's uh, fourth pregnancy and lost all of the big corporate, you know, uh, uh, not only the paycheck, no. but all of the, the benefits and stuff and, you know, having to provide for yourself in the cold, cruel world. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Yikes. Right. So, yeah. And, but I think that's what, what people want to do. You know, I, I mean, that's yeah. the dream anyways, like I said. So like, could I stop selling insurance and sell carpet pythons? Cause I like them that much more, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I, and uh, and then maybe would that even ruin it for me? But yeah, I I think that's a good question. Um, so you kind of have this like it, it, like if we back up a couple of steps, and I won't talk too much mm. about this, but I just as we get into marketing because I know you guys have some pretty specific marketing questions, um, but I, I did just want to like I guess set the stage a little bit. So if you zoom out from marketing a few degrees. You know, you have this kind of broader question of the reptile industry and where do I fit? Right. You know, and that's that's a big question. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat, right? So you're right. you're basically just like anyone else in the world. You have a hobby that you enjoy, and you mm-hmm. want to try to figure out how to get people to give you money to do what you enjoy, <laughs> right? As the American you call dream. The shots, yeah. 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 Right. So, so that's like the macro question, if you will. And then uh, once you kind of decide, all right, I'm going to take a specific course of action with that, you have to zoom in again and come up with like a business plan, maybe an investment strategy. Uh, am I going to have partners on this? How am I going to fund the launch? Because just like any business, I mean, if you open a pizza shop, uh, they say not to expect being able to turn a profit for three to five years, you know? So, and, and how quickly you can get there is, is not based on how good your pizza tastes. It's about mm-hmm. your business plan. And but part of it is the quality of your pizza, but it's also how do you take your product to market, you know? Um, and that's where you get, you zoom in one more step there's a lot of other stuff in there, like what you know. Am I going to be an LLC? Am I going to run this as a sole proprietorship? Am I going to do this under the table and avoid the tax man? <laughs> you know what I mean? How are you? How are you planning on doing this kind of thing? And not that that final uh, strategy is a legal one, by the way. But um, but yeah, when you zoom in again, uh, you kind of have the marketing and sales aspect of it, and those two things are different, but they go hand in hand because they're both there so that you can create revenue. I mean, right. that's the purpose of those. So, um, so you, a lot of people think like at, at my last company, I was the director of marketing and sales for that okay. company. And, uh, there's companies that companies go back and forth and they argue over this all day long. Should marketing and sales be one department? Are they two totally separate things? Obviously, they have to work together, but when mm-hmm. you have one person overseeing everything, it becomes a distraction because they are, they're kind of like two stages in the process. You know what I mean? It's, it's like if you're restoring a car and you have body work and paint, like there are shops that can do both, and then there's those guys that are just like wicked paint artists, you know, and, but that's all they do. Don't ask them to do any body work. 
So exactly. that's kind of like marketing and sales. So, so I'll define sales first and then go into marketing. But sales is basically completing transactions. Sales is what I do once every two weeks where I say now that I do this absolutely and for the audience, I reach out reptiles is my business. And I do this full time. I, I pulled the plug. I haven't done anything else. I'm almost at a year. It'll be a year in July, you know, that I've uh, just been somehow making money by staying at home and playing with my reptiles. It's insane. Um, so sales <laughs> Don't is put that I way. I mean, every like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Every two weeks, I'm like, oh, crap, payroll is due. You know, sales is what I do where I'm like, okay, I'm looking through the racks. I don't have any animals left in stock, but I'm looking at which – cages or tubs can I convert into my paycheck? You know what I mean? And, and pay for all these other things. That's sales. That's me calling Owen saying, dude, I know that I did a talk with you guys about Superdorfs and then you went and bought one from Matt and that's okay. I still love you. And Matt's <laughs> animals are awesome. So I forgive you. And then I know that I saw you at Tinley and you almost bought I got, I got, I got half the speech at Tinley. Yeah. I got, I got half the <laughs> right. speech at Tinley already. But That's when I'm I had to run. I'm calling you now, Owen, because I have this holdback animal from last year that is oh, the no. most epic animal I produced, and I have to make my paycheck this week to feed my starving children. Can you please give me half of its market value for this animal Damn. that I have all these tremendous future plans? And you're like, oh, I would be stupid not to. And I give you my PayPal account, and you send me the money. That's sales, right? <laughs> right. Right, and then Owen okay. has two dicks, and it's not good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you could throw some of your crazy carpets to that retick and make some really crazy stuff, but oh, it's probably God. easier to just oh, go get two Have you re-ticks. listened to the show? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So troll him, troll him anybody, good, Garrett. <laughs> I'm convinced that anybody that's into carpet pythons is a hybrid fan, and they just don't know it. That's my that's my take on that. But. <laughs> Oh, we can get into that. We can get into that another time. Oh, this is becoming a horrible <laughs> show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just like controversy. I don't know why. You can ask my. Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just thrive on that kind of stuff. But okay, so so marketing. If we peeled off just marketing, marketing is basically um, a series of messaging, right? And you're you're right. trying to show people that you are the company for them or your product is the product for them. That's marketing. And it, it has a lot to do with um, knowing what people want and being in touch with the industry, you know, getting mm-hmm. lots of feedback on stuff. I mean, lots of feedback on stuff. Sales is more like I said, like, okay, I got this in my rack. Who can I sell this to? I need to take something that is from inside the company and push it out. Marketing, you do have that with some messaging, but really what you're trying to do is connect with people. And in order to do that, you need to find out how people are connecting with the world around them and make yourself accessible in whatever way they're doing it. And when you do that, when you're creating a market for, let's say, you know, I specialize in nothing but dwarf and super dwarf retics, right? Uh, right. I do believe I am the only breeder in the world that it does nothing but dwarf and super dwarf retics full time. You mm. know, I, I know there are people that only do that because they have a few pairs and that's their hobby or whatever. And I know there are people that do retics pretty much full time, 
but mm-hmm. uh, I don't think there's anyone that is so specific in that. Um, and so obviously I'm a, sh- a shameless promoter of how much uh, joy these animals have brought me, you know, now and over the years. And I, I begin to build a case for a sale to happen, but I don't have, I may have a target audience, but I don't have a mm-hmm. specific target with marketing generally. I want the world to experience me a certain way. And then that generates leads and those are more specific. So that would be like, you know, Owen uh, stopped by my booth and he saw the big hand built thing. And let, let yeah. me ask you this because, because it kind of builds my case for what we're going to talk about here tonight. Mm-hmm. But Owen, what was your impression if you didn't know me and you didn't know anything about me and you, you were at a reptile show and you walked into that and you saw me dressed the way I was dressed, acting the way I was acting in that booth, what would be like, give me five single words that would describe reach out reptiles to you based on that impression. I think I kind of already summed it up in the thing. I said it was a nice breath of fresh air because it was so drastically different from everything else that was in the row. It's Mm -hmm. you didn't have a table. You weren't blocked out from the the crowd. They could walk into like, I don't know, your clutches and um, they could (laughs) walk around your retics. They could see everything was uh, all like, this is after going aisle after aisle after aisle of seeing black table off black table with acrylic displays. Holy crap, that guy's got a black table with red acrylic displays. Like, and then you have Gary's tape gone in the podium. It's all wood, and I'm moving around. You were bopping between several people, uh, nothing but smiles and energy. So it was a very nice way to end the row. And, you know, when I realized it was you, it was, you know, even more, I'm like, oh, this is Garrett stuff. That's awesome. So it was very cool. Okay, cool. So, like, just to kind of sum it up, I was writing down as you were talking, it, you said kind of like different, fresh, mm-hmm. interactive, great visuals, and smiles and energy, right? Yes. And yep. every, everything that you just talked about was before, really before you even looked in any of my cases or talked to me about anything. Yeah, this is before I even saw, like, uh You didn't retics. even know it was <laughs> like, yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And there was, there no. was 100 people at, in this 10-foot square foot of space that yeah. uh, you had to get past to get in there, right? Um, yep. But So, so you, before you even come, you're, you're an aisle away. You already have an impression about the kind of experience that you're going to get into. Mm-hmm. Correct? Okay, yep. so – so this is, this is my message. I mean, this is my marketing. When I do that booth, um, if you look at any, anything about Reach Out Reptiles, you go on the website or you go on my YouTube channel, uh, you hit me up on Facebook, I mean, you're going to see I, I am basically trying to explain who I am before I can actually meet you through a series of yeah. just like touches. So, so the wood that I use is like pallet wood, everything – Almost that whole booth is like reclaimed parts that I ripped off, and it it works great. I specifically chose that style because it's cool. Yet I can go dumpster diving to make it all happen, <laughs> and right, right. that's great for a startup because it's part of my business plan of not ever spending any money on this stuff, you know. Um, but it, it's almost got this like uh, you know farmered together feel to it, 
And mm-hmm. I, I basically am, I, or at least I see myself as kind of an open book. I'm, uh, you know, what you see is what you get. I'm not very subversive. I don't, I talk a lot and I don't think before I say anything. So there's a certain amount of authenticity and honesty there. And I'm basically just like a good old boy Ginzer from Pittsburgh, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I've lived around the world and I've experienced a lot of things. And so I have a new look on stuff, but I'm bringing all that all back to my roots. And, um, and that goes well with me with the dwarf and super dwarf. Uh, it just, to, to me in my mind, it all makes sense because uh, one of my very first snakes, I told you guys this before, my, actually my very first snake was a carpet python. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the second one immediately to follow was a, a Jampea dwarf retic. And so for me, that's kind of like coming back to my roots. I moved from California back to Pittsburgh, which is where I was born. So it's kind of like a homecoming to that. Um, I want to dive into my community and be a part of it. And the last five years, the company I was working for did like inspection services for the steel industry, uh, oil and gas, all that kind of stuff. So it, it's just a bunch of good old boys running around, you know what I mean? Having some beers and hanging out. And the part of my booth that you didn't get to see, Owen, is I had like a, an eight-foot bar where you could sit oh down my God. and have like beer signs <laughs> out with yeah, Damn it. it's, it's like a sports bar. It's basically, you guys know what Pramani's is? Of course. No. Yeah. Okay. My, <laughs> you please. Um, it, it's the best stage place in Pittsburgh. I mean, it's, whenever it's Dad where everybody Pirates comes. Games, we get it. Exactly. When you go to Pittsburgh, the restaurant to go to is Pramani's. It's a, it's a local chain or whatever, but when you come to Reach Out Reptiles booth, it's basically Pramani's. You know, uh, that's that's the idea. Um, And so so basically, uh, you know everything that you're going to get before you even get there. And the goal of marketing should be anytime somebody has a touch or a connection with with you in any way, whether it's a reference from someone else, a picture they see online, uh, a box they receive in the mail, they visit your website. They meet you on YouTube. They follow you on Instagram. Whatever it is, you should have a consistent uh, platform of messaging coming across that's all driving home whatever your message, your crafted message is. And that's branding for you. It's a big part of marketing. And every, every uh, task that you do within marketing needs to come out of that brand so that you provide a consistent feel. Like if I go to the Apple store here in Pittsburgh or if I go to one in New York or I go to one in L.A., it's consistent. Mm. I can buy a McDonald's cheeseburger anywhere in the world, and it's like, how on earth? I lived in Indonesia. I ate McDonald's there. It's like, how does this taste like Pittsburgh cheeseburgers? I don't <laughs> understand how that's even physically yeah, possible. possible. You know? right. yeah. yeah, but a Big Mac is a Big Mac no matter where you go. I mean, they're incredibly consistent, and, and that's why you go to McDonald's. There's no guesswork. There's the little mom and pop place next door that could be amazing, or you could be on the toilet for three days. Well, maybe I'll just go to McDonald's. <laughs> I know what I'm going to get. It's not that exciting, but it's McDonald's. I know what it is, right? Right, 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 right. So I, I, uh, before we even get into it, I can tell you that's probably going to be a, a, a consistent theme is that the, uh, the messaging is consistent across any platform, anywhere you meet people. It's one more opportunity to make a connection 
and tell them who you are and tell them why you're the, the company for them, why this is the product for them. And you build a case for sales so that when it comes time to make some money, oh, and if I call you now, you've had all these different interactions with me and with Superdwarf. It would be a lot easier for me to sell you a Superdwarf now than it would have 12 months ago, right? Right. Uh, I don't want to <laughs> but it's like you are – because this is dangerous. <laughs> um, but maybe. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, and that, you know, that's, as far as sales go, that's one big thing. It is, it is funny. Um, buyers, uh, a lot of times they feel like they have to hold their cards really close, which is a shame because a lot of the animals that we produce and breed, I mean, we are kind of the authority on that. I mean, Eric, you've been breeding your, your, specific citrus tiger line forever, right? And so yeah. nobody knows those mm-hmm. animals better than you, but if they feel like they can't trust you because they want to give you money at the end of the day, it's it makes sales like a battle, you know? So, right. so whether I'm here on NPR calling myself a good old boy or I'm just talking with a bunch of people at a bar after the show, I want to make sure that people know that they can trust me so that I can give them good information and they can have the best possible success with their animals. Uh, and I want them to know that. And it, and there are people listening on this show right now that, you know, talking to me, uh, when you guys are talking to me, there's a certain kind of a, a feeling that's coming across to everybody uh, where they feel like they know me a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And so right. it's a little bit less intimidating because, I might not know who they are, but they sat down and listened to me for two stinking hours on NPR, and so they feel like they're my best friend, you know what I mean, or my new brother-in-law or whatever. So, sure. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, that's what marketing is. It's, it's basically just communicating who you really are to everybody else. And the tricky part, when you zoom out and you think, do I want to do this for a living? What is my business plan, my investment strategy? How am I going to make these sales? All those other layers you need to be able to know who you are and what it is that you bring to the table. And sometimes that's the hard part. Marketing is pretty easy if you have a solid foundation of understanding who you are and where you fit within your niche market, if that makes sense. You know, you bring up uh, the the whole idea of people trusting you, and um, it's funny, that's kind of – kind of where the idea for Morelia Python Radio came from. It was, you know, it was like, well, I'm going to buy these high-end carpet pythons. Why would somebody buy them from me as opposed to another person? Well, maybe if I put myself out there, well, how can you put yourself out there? Well, let me do a podcast like Reptile Radio, but let's focus on carpet pythons. And then in a way it was kind of like, uh, kind of a little selfish in a way because I would be talking to, you know, the top breeders of carpet python, which, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like, you got to think of a way. Uh, Another thing I'm curious on your thoughts with this. Like I've noticed when I focus on myself and not worry about what other people are doing, it seems that I get more of a response from people. Is is that Mm -hmm. something that you've uh, similar uh, situation with you? Absolutely. I mean, the, the thing about it is you have to do what you love 
And, and this is what, you know, listeners out there, uh, you guys might not be selling a snake right now, but you as the buyer have to realize you dictate the way the industry goes, you know, and, and even us, mm-hmm. I mean, I buy snakes, you guys buy snakes. Owen buys snakes all the time. He's going to buy three super dwarfs from me after this show. <laughs> um, so, you know, but you have to dict- you, you realize that what you do dictates the market as a buyer and you kind of financially re- reward other people. But I will tell you that us as consumers, we buy things for the intrinsic value that they bring, not necessarily for the item itself. Does that make sense? Like, uh, I mean, right. uh, Eric, what, what's your favorite brand of car? What, what kind of vehicles do you drive? I drive Nissan. Okay. Well, there you go. Do you yeah. like Nissan? Are you a Nissan fan or are you just, just buy crappy used Nissans and that's all you can afford? No, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Nissan fan because actually it, it's funny. It, tar- it turns into a customer service situation. I had a Chrysler and, you know, I had it crap out on me. It was brand new and they wouldn't, you know, <clears throat> fix it, so to speak, or they, they gave me poor customer service because that's the business that I'm in. And then, I told them that I would never buy another one. And then uh, my dad had a Nissan and uh, it never gave him problems. And I've experienced the same thing. Off so. you go. <laughs> there so the I fact am. that you said, I will never buy another Chrysler product right, right there says that you care less about the product and more about the intrinsic value that when you Correct. buy, every time you buy a Nissan, it feels good. Cause you feel like you're flipping the bird to Chrysler. Right. Because you just drove right by their lot and didn't even look at them. And you can right. do that for the rest of your life. And it develops, that's, you know, more of a, on the, focusing on the negative side of things. Um, and I like to focus on the, on the positive. But, um, you know, the, the Nissan gives you a good feeling. They feel reliable. You have, you've had yeah. a car for three months. It's a brand new car. But you feel good because it's a Nissan. You've only had it for three months. It might last right. six months and explode. You don't know. Right. You know, but but right. it's a Nissan, so it's not going to do that. And someone else might hate Nissan. So right. uh, it has a lot to do with the messaging they've received about the project, the product, and whether or not it, uh, it provides a good intrinsic value for them. So to, I know that sounds like a rabbit trail, but you said when you focus on what you like, you have more success. And when you mm-hmm. focus on what other people – want you don't um and the reason for it is this i might be thinking about a carpet python but i'm not really too sure i'm not like this is you know a smaller thing for me i'm a part-time buyer a hobbyist most of your your customers Mm -hmm. are going to be that way and maybe i think i want a jungle carpet python but then when i come over to your booth you hand me just a coastal and you talk to me about how it takes so much more uh, depth of perception and appreciation to really see the beauty in this often understood and overlooked animal, right? That anybody can see a nice jungle carpet and be like, wow, black and yellow. But you're saying, no, look at the iridescence of this animal or the thickness of its head or the way that it just looks around or how it has this like regal feeling to it. Next thing I know, mm-hmm. I'm looking at my beautiful black and yellow jungle carpet going, wah, 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 you know, like I want that <laughs> regal feeling. Mine's like wimpy, you know, or whatever. Um, yeah. And so you've not sold them necessarily on the animal, 
but they're going to become addicted to your passion for that animal. And really what every one of us wants is more passion in our lives. We want right. to experience more while we're here on Earth. And so if buying a coastal carbon python is going to do that for me, then that's what I want. You you know, and I'm talking to you and you're passionate about it. So it makes sense that I would be passionate about it too because I connect with you and you like that. So I probably need a coastal or whatever the case may be. You know what I'm saying? Did you just think the most of the show, you know, Um, that's – Sorry, you were, this, what this were you so dangerous. We talk to people. They get about this, and then we buy it. So you're super oh, totally. choppy. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I I think he was. It sounded like he was saying that that's why the show is dangerous because you talk to people that are some of like the pioneers and pat, most passionate people in the industry, and you end up with things like beaded lizards. You're like, what? I thought I liked carpet pythons. Like, what's going on? You know. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that, that is dangerous, but, uh, but that's the way that it is. And, and I don't mind buying – like, if I'm going to buy a beaded lizard, I'm going to go buy it from somebody that has that kind of a passion, and I can see that they've really been working on these. And it's like a lifeline, lifelong project of them. And I get – when I buy directly from a breeder like that, I get to buy into their legacy and kind of participate – in all of that with them, especially if they have good customer service and they follow up with me. And it's kind of like you're in the club now. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's going to yeah. perpetuate that. And, and so uh, all you listeners out there, if you do see someone doing a great job with marketing and all that kind of stuff, the, the funny thing is the people who, who really put the time into developing appreciation for a species or the species itself. Eric, you said you want to selective breed localities and that takes space. It takes huge mm-hmm. commitment. And a lot yep. of times those animals have a smaller price tag mm-hmm. than maybe a flashy new morph. Right. But um, if you can develop a deep sense of appreciation for what you're doing, you're going to be the only one that can do that. And as people want, you know, a uh, EB line, whatever, you're the only guy to go to for that. And so you can kind of ask what you need to, to make that project make sense for you. And then people are happy to invest in that. It makes them feel good about what they're doing. And so, you know, like uh, just a shout out to the buyers. If you like what someone's doing, don't be like, Oh, this guy's got so much stuff into it. That's really cool. Like, uh, you know, look how much time and effort and, and his whole life he's dedicated to super dwarfs with Garrett guy. I'm going to go try to buy this, this skinny underfed thing off of Craigslist. You know, right. uh, then you're going to dictate that the market go that way. And those, those good information, those nice internet pictures, those, all the stuff from the people who had a dream and tried to go into it full time go away because they realize all that they can really do is sell stuff cheaper than the next guy on Craigslist. And they got to go back to work because they can't afford to, to live the dream anymore. It, you know, so reward the people who are doing things the way you think they should be done, whatever that is, and yeah. that's going to to bring success. I uh, I talked about I talked about it a lot on the show, but I guess the way I phrase it is is voting with your dollar. So absolutely, absolutely. You know, if you don't like a reptile show, don't go to it. 
You don't like a podcast? Don't listen to it. You don't like a YouTube channel? Don't subscribe to it. You don't like uh, what somebody's doing? Don't buy from them. But if you do, yeah. then you should support them. You know. Um, well, you know, one thing that I, I really like to do is give people the benefit of the doubt. And so I agree with you 100%. But what I would do, let's say I don't like a reptile show. I would stop going to it, and then I might write a letter to the promoter and tell them why. Sure. Right? Or, yeah. or if I buy a snake from you, I'm not just going to go buy it on the website. I want to have a conversation with you and tell you how much a, a fan I am about this particular thing that you're doing. And what I'm doing is feeding into that passion that you have because now you've been kind of verbally rewarded, and you can see that I see the value in animals that you see the value in, and it makes you even more excited about those animals. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. Like, uh, you know, when you're marketing yourself, a lot of people in, the, in this day and age, they don't talk to each other, you know, like we're talking now. So it's through email. It's through, you know, Facebook message. It's through, you know, all these different ways, texting, whatever. Um, is there – and you you put yourself out there – your your presence is what it is on the internet, you know, or how you interact on Facebook. I mean, should that be things that you think about before you're going and screaming and hollering about, you know, whatever the latest drama is? And should you pull away from that? Is that something you would recommend? Or, like, how do you handle that? If you see something <laughs> well, going wrong, a, you know what I mean? Easy, yeah, yeah, that's an easy question. I'm a Mr. No Drama guy. I don't like it. I mean, there right. are people that have never even met me that don't like what I do. And I don't know if it's because I, I don't do it the way they do it or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I mean, I, I realize that there's good and bad to every person. There's good and bad to every, like you're talking about social media. Let's say take one, for example, Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. There's, there's pros right. and cons to that. And I participate to focus on, what is Facebook doing for me? How can I mm -hmm. use it to connect with people? Because you're right, they don't connect face-to-face -face anymore, but there are certain people who connect certain ways through Facebook. And so if I craft messages in marketing that I can put to Facebook that allow people to connect with me in a way that's still genuine and authentic to who I am and what I'm doing, they're going to get that feel about me through their preferred platform. But, yeah, absolutely, you can go on and you'll waste your entire life focusing on the, the negative things that things can bring. You know, there's, there's right. balance to everything in life, and you, you've got to find what that is. But if you are serious about marketing and you're going to try to market, let's say, from like a multi-platform, uh, a, a multi-social media platform or whatever, you don't have time to scroll down your news book your, your Facebook feed, newsbook feed, a good word for it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and just BS with all the drama that's going on there. You don't have time. I go on, right. I craft my, my messages. I add them to Facebook. And then I always, always, always respond to people because that's important for me is that uh, like if someone comments on one of my videos on reach out reptiles, YouTube, they're getting, they're getting a reply. Absolutely. 100% right. of the time, you know, uh, because I appreciate that they took the time to sit down and write something back to me. And I found that I encourage them to give feedback. I tell them in my replies how important that is. And then I do that once for somebody, and then they comment on every video after that. 
which helps right. me increase my plot, but it also right. gives them a good feeling about me. I mean, it's just being genuine and, and taking a little bit of extra effort to do these things. But the reason why you, you do have to back up and have that business plan is that you need to know where to spend your effort because each of us only has so much to give. Yeah, mm-hmm. so how do you balance your time with, you know, you're doing it full time. How do you balance a yeah. collection and, and feeding and cleaning and, you know, uh, making sure that, you know, you're, you're putting animals up for, for ads and interacting with people and YouTube videos and all this stuff that you have to do. How do you balance that with, you know, getting back to people and making sure that you're messaging people? Is there, how, how do you do that? Uh, well, that's a great question. Uh, probably not very well right now. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think I started, I think I started at like 8 a.m. yesterday and I'm still going now because I had a female laying eggs last night and was like up with her and decided to go ahead and talk to some people and respond and stuff. So my wife, uh, I told her, I gave her a kiss. I came down to my dungeon down here to do this show. And she's like, okay, I'll see you when we're dead. And I was like, yeah, that'll be good. Okay. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, uh, you know, I work a lot harder for myself, you know, uh, time wise, you know, just to make ends meet than I ever had to for any other company because it's all on me. But Mm -hmm. uh, in order to balance that stuff, like what I would say, I think a lot of times people are like, okay, So I'm going to go promote myself, let's say, on social media. That's not a necessity, but let's say that's the route they want to go. So they need to have Mm -hmm. a Twitter, an Instagram, a Facebook, a YouTube channel, and they're trying to put out all this effort, and they're kind of like half-assing all of it, not doing any of it really well. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you noticed, but I'm not on Instagram. I probably should be because that's a great place for what we do, which is eye candy. It's like artistic, right? Right, yeah. Showcase your living art. So I probably should be there, but I don't have the ability to add one more thing right now. And my (laughs) Facebook isn't where I want it to be. And my YouTube's not where I want it to be. So I'm not even going to think about Instagram until I do YouTube really well. And then once I, the way I balance it, Eric, is anytime you start something new, it's awkward, it's weird, it's difficult, but you can't give up on it right away. You have to have a little bit of success and a lot of failure so that you can learn what works and doesn't work. And then you start to become efficient at it. Once you Mm -hmm. become efficient and you have systems in place, these things kind of go on autopilot and you can transfer your energy to the next thing. So that's Mm -hmm. the way I do it. I choose one thing to just really kill and do super well. And then, and, and then I just do that. And then I go to the next thing and then I go to the next thing. So, uh, but as far as like my actual time goes, um, I struggled with this. I actually looked up a lot of time management stuff in the beginning and I landed on, uh, Benjamin Franklin's personal, uh, daily planner. You can look that up online. It's kind of cool. It's old school marketing thing. So I adapted his daily planner and like the hours that he worked and stuff to fit Mm -hmm. my life. And then I actually printed up little cards. And I have a 50 caliber ammo can that sits on my desk and these little, uh, you know, uh, what do you call them? Uh, like the little, uh, gosh, what's it called? Uh, the golden paper, goldenrod. I cut these little cardstock goldenrod things out and I had them printed at the local store 
and they have Benjamin Franklin's little daily planner on the right. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it has four categories that of things that I need to work on on the left, which is like maintain, create, reach out, and then notes. And I sit down at the beginning of the week and I, I write down, okay, this card for Monday, this one for Tuesday, this one for – and it has things like what I liked about Ben – old Ben's thing is he asks himself a question every morning. What good am I going to do today? And then he asks himself <laughs> a question to evaluate every night that says, what good have I done today? And I'll write those answers out. And that's why I have a can because I store them in there and they almost become like a business diary for me. Uh, and then I have my to-do tasks on there and I kind of check them off as I go throughout the day and I add things and like maybe I didn't finish everything Tuesday so I can roll some of those over till Wednesday or maybe it needs to wait till the next Tuesday. Um, and then I just have a very loose weekly agenda that's like Monday, I pretty much answer messages all day because in order mm-hmm. for me to have some kind of family life, I have <laughs> to ignore people on the weekend. Right. I have to. Uh, and if it's someone that doesn't know me and they're just getting to know me, I'll actually give them more time than someone I know, have known for years. Because the person I've known for years is going to forgive me if I don't text right. them while I'm sitting in church or whatever. You know what I mean? But the person who's getting to know me, uh, I try to get back to them right away and say, hey, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great question. You know, I'm with a family right now. Can I get back to you on Monday morning? And they're obviously, oh, yeah, of course. Enjoy your, your weekend, you know, and that's it. So I, yeah. I just slowly kind of train my customer base by either ignoring them or telling them, right. hey, I'm going to get right back to you on Monday, but I, I'm taking the weekend to be with my kids. Nobody's going to fault you for that. If they you do, back do you really want to do business with them? I mean, you <laughs> Good know. point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but you still had an immediate response. Your response was just simply that I, I am unable to respond right now. Right. So right. that's kind of the way I balance that. I push them to a time when I can do it, and I dedicate my, almost my entire Monday to answering people. And then my whole Tuesday is set up to my animals. I take care of them. I go through every rack. I feed them all. You know, I have two days a week when I do feeding so that I can hit my time frames that I need to with feed schedules. Um, but then Tuesday, I also spend with volunteers and interns that I've developed over time, and I, I try to invest as much knowledge in them as I can and give them hands-on experience with the animals, which is what they want. And in turn, I get these young kids climbing through my cages and scrubbing them out and you know doing all the things that I need to, to do with animals. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the meantime, they're the ones that get to be there when eggs are hatching you know, or whatever, and that's just the coolest thing in the world to them. So I invest in the next generation. I, so Tuesday is for my animals and the people that help me take care of my animals. You know, and okay. then uh, Wednesday I work on my shop, uh, my actual room. I reorganize stuff. I move my collections around a little bit, you know, like babies to hold backs or making room for new clutches or whatever's going to happen, tweaking uh, mm-hmm. cages, improving those, checking all my temperatures, whatever I need to do. Uh, right. Or organizing, uh, and that would be like paperwork and all that crap too. And then Thursday, I focus on creating content for marketing, which is going to be, I'm working, I'm doing a lot of work on, um, on educational material that I'm going to try to make available through downloadable PDF. Uh, my YouTube things, I do a Talk em Up Tuesday, which is where I actually talk about other people once a week. Right. And then the other half right. of the time, I'm talking about super dwarfs. Uh, on my free tip Friday. So I launch a video every Tuesday, every Friday, uh, at least. 
and I throw those up. I do that content on Thursday. And then on Friday I go through and that's my baby time. I spend with all of my babies getting non-eaters to eat. You know, sometimes, sometimes that takes patience. Uh, you know, and by blocking out the time, I don't end up resenting the animals. Instead, I come to them with this perspective of, it's your time, baby. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So take as long right. as you need. And it really helps right. me form a good connection with my animals, um, which makes them, it just makes them better. They're healthier. They're happier. My customers always comment on how well-adjusted they are. Uh, and, but by specifically blocking out that time as best I can, that's how I balance it. So I, I am very specific with how much time needs to be invested. The hard part is figuring out where to spend the time, really. And right. you kind of have to fail for a while. And then what most people don't do that I do um, is they, have some, they, they don't have any kind of metrics to measure their efforts. They think they have to put mm-hmm. stuff on YouTube. You know, but when I release a YouTube video, I say – for every YouTube video I, I put out, I get 20 comments and five personal messages. Now, for every 100 comments, I might actually get a lead that's interested in a super dwarf. Or for every five personal messages, one of those might result in a sale. So if mm-hmm. I do right. that, then I, then I can say every 1.2 YouTube videos I put out, if they're at a certain standard and quality, I will make a sale. And then I know that my average sale is X amount of money. So now my YouTube very clearly is paying me because my YouTube video, mm-hmm. when I make it, it might seem frustrating to spend all day shooting and editing and reshooting and editing. And especially when you're a, a goober like me that doesn't know what they're doing with that stuff. <laughs> and I'm just trying to get good information out there. It takes right. me forever. Um, but I can see that that day paid me X amount of dollars by right. it following through. So I, I kind of craft, I call it a cookbook where shows make me this much money. Uh, you know what I mean? Reaching out to people personally. I really do go through and send out, like make phone calls through the day. Every time I'm driving, you know, I actually list down every Monday people I'd like to talk to. And I put them in two categories. One is like someone I'd like to learn from. And then the other one is like somebody I'd like to teach. And I reach out to those people while I'm driving places, you know, with my little okay. uh, Bluetooth car thing. And, uh, and so I'm just very intentional about what I want to do through the day and through the week. And then I plan times for those and what I don't get done. I don't get done. I mean, that's it. You can't stress about that. I mean, I, I feel like you just got to move on. Yeah. If I put as much effort as I do into trying to give this much time to my animals and to my customers, that's all I have to give. That's it. You know, I yeah. mean, my kids need a father. So, and that, that is the most important thing. So, uh, you, you got to keep a perspective on that stuff. So do, do, do you find that most people that do it full time sort of have the same business model, similar to like what we're saying with the reptile show, you walk in and somebody sort of copies the other one and everybody sort of follows suit. Is, is that something that you have to do or is it, I mean, I guess you don't have to do anything, but like, obviously they're doing it that way because it lends to some type of success, right? I would imagine. What's your thoughts? I guess so. I guess so. But I, um, I mean, there's something to it. Like, for example, if I was going to set up 
a carpet python breeding colony, I would do whatever you told me to do because I know that <laughs> you've been successful and I don't know what I'm doing. Right. 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 So mm-hmm. I want to, I'm going to emulate you for a while, but, but most, the problem is most people never go beyond that. Right. What you need to do is do that. And like I said, have a little bit of success and a lot of fal- failure and then reevaluate and innovate based on what you've learned and continually be doing that all the time. Uh, question right. everything. Don't do anything because someone says that you have to. I mean, if you think about it, it is kind of cool that I can go pretty much buy a prepackaged uh, trade show booth, right? Right, and right, based yeah. on, on how much money I have, I'm going to put myself in the category of other people. So if I bought the cheap one, I'm going to look like the cheaper people at the show. If I buy the $15,000 trade show display in a box, I'm going to look like the $15,000 people. But if I spend two months ripping apart pallets and building something out of the dumpster, there's nobody going to going to look like me at all. Period. Right. No. No. And so, You're right. so what what I would say is the the problem is this: people look at so they use a resource like say Morph Market, right? Great resource for sellers, and they go on there and they find classified ads for animals. Let's say my thing is I want to breed ball pythons. And I go and I see that a, a pied is worth this much. Uh, mm-hmm. But if it's an albino pied, it's worth this much. And so I go buy my hets and my double hets and I breed them. And that's my business plan. That is not a business plan. But that's what most people do. They, right. they like, like if I'm a, a retic breeder and some crazy new morph comes out, everyone says, I have to go have that morph. And they all right. freak out and they're fighting over it and everybody, you know, like think about Jaguar carpets when they first hit the scene or albinos for that matter. It was like, sure. that's exactly what everyone that had carpet pythons was buying because they think they need it to stay relevant. But right. if you all along knew that you were selective breeding locality stuff, you don't need that, that jazz. Now you might be into getting some head albino pure Darwin. Right. That might be cool. Like I work with super dwarfs. I would love to produce pure locality anneries, which is the only morph available in super dwarfs. That would be great. But I wouldn't even want to produce all anneries because for me it's fun to have a clutch of variety, you know, within right. that stuff. But I know what I'm, what I'm doing. And so you can't follow what other people are doing when it comes to what's right for you. You, you really need to, like I said, it's, it's kind of a funny thing because you take the guidance of the expert, but you have to find your own way through the world. And that takes a lot of sitting down and thinking about those Benjamin Franklin type questions. What good do I want to do with this business? Right? So what what yeah. is this going to matter at the end of the day? Take somebody like, uh, God rest his soul, uh, Ben Rennick, right? Mm-hmm. Guy made amazing right. snakes. But ever since he passed, I haven't heard one thing about how cool his snakes were. That's all I heard about while he was alive, which is unfortunate. Because now that he's not with us anymore, all I hear is about how good a guy he was and how he was willing to spend time with people, how he helped people, you know, how he built them up or empowered them to be able to, to go into business for themselves, how he taught them to invest, how he looked at it from, you know what I mean? And he had a legacy of things mm-hmm. that he did that nobody even really noticed he was doing while he was alive, unfortunately. 
And that's what you're talking about. Vote with your dollar. I mean, vote for people. Open your eyes and see what's going on around you. Vote for those people because there are people that are doing that now in the industry, and they're there, and they're trying to make it a better place. And then there are other people who, you know, feel like the only way they can draw attention to themselves is by putting those other people down and trying to steal what those other people have built or created. Um, And so, you know, you got to follow the professionals, but it has to be you. I mean, I can like a snake and be passionate about a snake that you give me and teach me the, the, what's cool about it. I can learn that from you, but I need to mm-hmm. piece that together with my life experience and all the other things, plus my location, where I'm at, uh, the cost of maintenance of these animals. There's so many other factors that I should be considering. Right. And if just, I would just encourage someone that's getting into reptile breeding not to say, hey, this is what I have. How do I make money with this? Because I've already invested $1,000, so I might as well <laughs> throw the rest of my life into chasing trying to make that $1,000 worth of random, you know, pet show purchases <laughs> make me nah, a living. Yeah, they're never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but, so that's, but that's how so many people start. Right? Of course yeah. it is. So it's yeah. similar to like, uh, it's similar to like how I'm going to use this example. It's like with... When I started playing guitar when I was young, right, you, you, you emulate the guy or girl or whoever that you just like blows you away on guitar. You want to learn every lick that they do and, uh, you know, how do they pick and how, what amp are they using, et cetera, et cetera. But then you, you start to there comes a point where you have to start to break away from that and start to trust your instincts of what you like. You know, and that, that that was a really hard thing for me to learn, uh, you know, with music, because I was trying to be something else for somebody else. When in reality, people were coming to see me. They wanted to see me, but I thought they wanted to see somebody else because I was trying yeah. to be that other person, you know, so. And, you know, it's funny and you're probably getting in your own way there, because here's the thing, whether it's music or reptile, life itself is art you know Mm -hmm. and a a life artfully lived is something that gets appreciated long after you die and so Mm -hmm. what what is art other than communicating to the world what's inside your soul and we all have different ways of doing that like i would love to do that with a guitar but i'm i'm a goober i can't i can't do that you know (laughs) all i have all i have is this weird thing where i connect with animals that other people hate so Mm -hmm. my question is if i want to live artfully i have to communicate what's going on within my soul and what i'm passionate about uh to other people through the medium of breeding reptiles if you're you with a guitar and you're playing like and you could cover eric clapton like there's like there's no tomorrow you're still not communicating anything you're just covering eric clapton as he communicated and you might still right. touch people, but they're really connecting with, more with him than you. Like, oh, I love this song, right? right. So when you right. can sit down and be an Eric Clapton who puts together that music and brings it to life through what they're feeling in their soul, that's when you find the way I would measure success is not in terms of dollars or whatever, but in terms of, of the connections that you make in life. And you can really connect with people on a deeper level that way. I hand people snakes, you know, I mean, we're all bros in the industry, right? You know, 
sub to mm-hmm. him, hey, man, whatever, and then you <laughs> drop a snake in the thing, and everyone's like, oh, dang, and you didn't say anything, you're looking at a snake, like, boom, oh, why didn't you tell me you produced one of these, oh, my gosh, and, and you right. all have this little language that you're talking that goes without saying, and that's what, like, if someone buys a superdor from me, they're going to understand who I am because of the absolute relentless barrage of messaging about who I am. And so right. you mm-hmm. know, people that walk away from me, I mean, you can ask them. They feel like they're my friends. And I would consider that they are because I'm using this business to live life artfully, which means I'm using it to connect with people. And so that's why I'm having fun. And it's like, I mean, I literally have, you, one of you guys mentioned like my shipping boxes earlier. I have yeah. people say, I want to buy a snake from you to get one of your shipping boxes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, it's, it's really not even about the snake, but it's like, I got a box from Garrett Hartle. This is so cool. And I think yeah. that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, and it, like, it's a box, dude. And they're like, oh, but it's this. And it, it just shows that, like, I appreciate that because I do put a lot of time and effort into having the experience be something that people are going to appreciate that snake for what it is from day one and give that snake the best possible chance of being well cared for for the rest of its life. If I have to spend an extra mm-hmm. 10 or 15 bucks on a shipping box, I'll do it, you know, um, to give my babies, those snakes, a, a good start in life, you know. And, and, I mean, that's just it. It's, it's about those connections. So, yeah, I mean, the, the music analogy is a perfect one. Has there, have you done any kind of um, like cost analysis? Is that something you have to do when you're putting a business? Like, you know, how long do I hold this animal for before it's costing me more money? I mean, is that, is that how you think? Like, cause you'll hear sometimes that once you do this full time, you know, the yeah. dreaded comment that always comes the way from, you know, the Facebook uh, group people. Uh, oh, it's all about the you're money for, for the person. money. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You don't care <laughs> yeah. about the animals. I name mine and they come when called and I don't know. All that uh, fun absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh I think you absolutely should. And I think you're doing your animals a disservice if you don't do a cost analysis, whether you're professional or not. Uh right. especially something like a reptile where a lot of times the purchase price of the animal fades in mm. comparison to the maintenance over the life of that animal. So, sure, so if you want to talk cost analysis, do you know how much money it takes to raise a mainland reticulated python to breeding age and get eggs out of a female? What do you think it's going to cost? N- no, but it's going to be horrible. $5,000. You're very close. I want to say ten. No, it's, so. it's about – well, obviously Damn. it's going to depend on like how you do it or whatever, but if you're good and you're efficient – but you're not abusing the animal. You're still giving mm-hmm. it appropriate caging and feeding and all that stuff. Uh, you're at about $3,500 to raise right. a, a restrict okay. the breeding size. So I, I always try to talk a little sense into people that are like, well, I can't afford the albino golden child, you know, for $500. So I'm going to buy this head albino and golden child head albino uh, package for 200 and raise them and make my own. And they always say, oh, God, I have time. And I'm like, yeah, but do you have endless amounts of money? Because (laughs) you're you're talking about, or even worse, I'll buy an albino and a golden child because then they're going to raise them up, make their hats, and then raise those hats and breed them together or whatever. And now you're into it for 10 years. And 
and depending on how many animals hold that, well over $10,000 when you could have bought the $500 animal. So, but I mean, I know retics are like a big animal or whatever, but um, yeah, you should definitely consider that. And that's, that was the pity of the reptile industry in like the sixties and the seventies was that the animals were thought of as disposable because why would you spend $300 setting up a $25 green iguana? It doesn't make sense. It's only worth 2,500. I'll just buy this, you know, I'm just going to put it on this like hanging plant thing. That's cool. And uh, let it live there till it dies and then go buy another one. (laughs) It'll walk around my, yeah, it's like that stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, it, it it's going to be about the money. Just like you said, you vote with your dollar. Uh, uh-huh. It mm-hmm. is to a certain degree about the money. But if you're an idiot with your money, you're going to end up abusing your animals. It's like the guy that I, I've seen it all the time because I, I deal with the big retics. You know, people are always uh, hesitant to get their first retic. Then they get mm-hmm. it and their the fear is gone and then they go buy 27 more, but they're all hatchlings. And and they have no clue, you right? Know, oh God! About, about what it takes to have even one animal, and so if they didn't think about the money and their animals have names and come to them when they call, they're called. That's great, but what are you going to do with all those animals when you literally cannot afford them anymore? That's when you see animals getting dumped on Craigslist yeah. ads and things like that, and. Not that Craigslist is a bad way to sell. I, I, I can hear like certain audience members that sell things on Craigslist successfully cringing. I, I'm <laughs> using that to describe the kind of person that's like dumping a third-hand animal. Not that everything is like right. that. There's nothing wrong with selling on Craigslist. But it's, it's the lack of ability to vet who you're selling to. Um, and, and so you should very much consider the cost. You guys were talking about retired animals earlier. Yeah, when right. you cut those things loose and you wanted to know about professional breeders and stuff like that. Um, there are plenty of people that hang on to them. I mean, every one of us that mm. breeds reptiles likes reptiles. I don't know anyone that hates reptiles, but breeds them. <laughs> that would be weird. I don't know. <laughs> so, I don't know. Well, I do know I people that have invested. So much. <laughs> I do know people that have invested in reptile breeders, but they're like, I just right. want my my distributions <laughs> as 30% right, owner or whatever. I don't, kinda, yeah. I, yeah. I don't want to touch a snake, you know? So, um, but the, so those professional breeders, a lot of them do hang on to that, but at a certain point, mm-hmm. you, especially if, if you're big enough to where you need to hire help to take care of all your animals, I'm not to that point yet. I, I do have volunteers and stuff that like make it possible. And I do a lot of like, breeding loans and consignment stuff so that my collection is a lot bigger than what I actually keep at my house. And that mm-hmm. gives me the flexibility of power. Like you said, Eric, it takes space to make right. these cool snakes. And so I do it in collaboration with other breeders and stuff. And by right. pooling our efforts, we're able to really take it to the next level in a way that none of us could individually, which is great. It empowers all of us. But those, those breeder animals and stuff, uh, you could keep them forever, certainly. But what I would say is you just have to watch out because sometimes when you get an animal that is never going to breed again, like the retired breeder male, for instance, never going to mm-hmm. breed again, it's not going to make you any more money anymore. Do you start feeding that animal less? Do you put it in a smaller cage than you really would like to if it was your only snake? 
And I'm only mm-hmm. asking, I'm not saying that you do, but if you answer those questions with a yeah, I, I, I shrink them down on diet to what's the minimum. I put them in the minimum amount of cage. You know, uh, what service are you doing to that animal by keeping it? I don't think right. you should go dump it at half market value on Craigslist. Right. But if you can find a way for that animal to retire happily, do it. You know, sometimes I've seen this before. The guy retires his breeder male, the beloved animal or whatever, um, and they move it out of the snake shop and they put it in a display case in their living room. Yeah. Now it's yeah. getting even better treatment. And that yeah. is fantastic. And that's awesome. And you know what? At that point, that animal has crossed a line where cost analysis on that animal doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, because it's a pet and you're taking money out of paychecks to pay for your pets. It's not a business thing. It's not a loss. It's not an expense. Because when you look at animals as expenses or whatever, which inevitably you, you have to do those numbers if you want to be able to pay your taxes somehow at the end of the year, you know. Um, sure. When you start looking at that stuff, it, it's very hard, even for the most passionate keeper, not to skimp a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more right. before you realize that that animal has not realized its entire life potential. Right. So, but if you can move it to your living room and say, nope, you're never breeding again. You're my pet. I love you. You're done. That animal's good. You know? Sure. So I would say if you want to be brutally honest with yourself, uh, go ahead and retire those animals by upgrading their care, upgrading their environment, upgrading their mm-hmm. food. You know, take that pet and feed it like quail, you know, because it loves those, you know, or, or whatever. Give your – feed your bread lie those bearded dragons. You know, I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> awesome. Oh, your God. That's oh, I'm gonna do that next week. William's mom on your chat says my mom does that with hedgehogs. I don't know if she's retiring them or feeding them to her snakes. I I don't know what he's talking about there, but (laughs) either uh, or hedgehogs to a snake would be pretty rough. But um, but yeah, and and so if you do want to be honest with yourself, if you can't afford to upgrade that, then just like my customer that I tell him, you know what, I love you, man, but I don't think you can afford this snake. Uh, you kind of have to be able to say that to yourself and, and do what you can. You should have the connections as a professional to be able to find good homes for those animals. A lot right. of my animals that they, they may not even be like retired or something, but it might be like, Hey, you know, this animal is a, is an amazing animal. I love her personality, but she just didn't eat on her own for three months and she has a kinked spine. That animal will go home with one of my volunteers you know, mm-hmm. and, and just be nothing but sentimental value. And that animal can have a very good life. Um, right. But it, it's not an expense anymore. So, you know, people always talk about with big breeders, you have to consider, should I euthanize this animal? You know, at what point do I, right? Or, or do I freeze eggs? Or do I, you know, all these like ridiculous things that come up. And I would say, mm-hmm. if you don't get in over your head and you have a good plan going into it, you should never even come into those kinds of situations. Right. You know, and if you have 12 retired breeders and 12 breeders, (laughs) you know, are your retired breeders really getting the same treatment as the ones that you're trying to get a clutch out of that year? And if they're not, wouldn't they be better off with somebody that's going to love them as a pet but could never afford that animal otherwise? 
Right. You know, if if you can actually develop the appreciation towards the animal for the new home, then move them on by all means. You know? Yeah, and it's one of those things like uh, you know, I guess <clears throat> you could you could spark somebody's passion as well. Like they they may not True. know that you know that they would be into it, and then you give them you know this pet, uh, you know retired breeder as a pet to somebody, and then they realize, oh wow, you know I really dig this. This this is pretty cool. I want to buy something I'm gonna- else. I'm going to breed it. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, and I, I know, Garrett, you said something about, like, de- uh, quote, unquote, degrade animals with the, uh, I don't know, kink spine or something like that. I've given those away to friends who just wanted them as pets just because I, I, I would feel wrong selling that to somebody who might try to breed it and end up just killing the animal. Because you never know. Yeah. Well, and one thing that, that you know, uh, I hope your listeners can understand, too. Like, we talk about that kind of stuff, but this mm-hmm. is these are people that have handled with hundreds, thousands, or maybe tens of thousands of hatchlings, and you're going to see those yeah. kinds of things. Uh, it's not like something like you always hear that same argument, like, well, if you breeders would stop inbreeding your stuff and creating all these problems <laughs> and – it, it's not like that. It's no, that's not you know it. No, I mean? it, it, it's just like I have four kids. You know what I mean? So what are the the statistic odds that one of them would be born with some kind of a birth defect or something? And do I throw them away, or do I do right. what it takes to get them a good life? And sure. It, that's a morality issue. I don't think one person can tell the next what to do with an animal like that. Um, no. But you know, it it does. It is rewarding, and it it does help me to remember how much I care about the animals to just make sure that everybody is always taken care of for life. And I even tell the people, if I do retire something, it's like, if you can't take care of this, you better give it back, you know, uh, rather than trying to do something else with it. Because then I can make sure that I take care of it. Mm -hmm. So here's a, here's a question that we can, we can kind of hit on a little bit and, you know, Personally, I am I have found myself in a spot now where pretty much the only thing I really do on Facebook is Messenger and my individual page. Um because I just can't like today for instance, and this is what I was talking yeah. about about getting sucked into the drama. You know, there's this situation that's going on in one of the groups about carpet pythons and you know, you have some newbie that's on there that's telling somebody that's been breeding for 20 years that they don't know what they're talking about and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, <laughs> and it just because you want to bang your head against the wall because, you know, you're just like, oh, my God, I can't I can't have this conversation again. You know, like the what is right, my yeah. carpet python question or the, you know, the argument about the, you know, you got people breeding jungle carpets and then they're complaining about lineage because their animals don't have lineage. But if you do lineage, then you're an you're idiot. And if you don't do lineage, you're, you're an idiot. Hybrid fans. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> you know, at the same point, they're telling you you're breeding hybrids and what's the point of that. But then they're breeding jungles that they don't know what the background is where they could be doing the same thing. And it's just like, Oh my God. It, it's just like, you can't have this conversation anymore. So I just pulled myself right. out of that. But, you know, yeah, now it's just yeah. like, how, so how do you balance that? Like, 
can you do reptiles full time and not be on social media? Is my question. <laughs> social media, if, we're, if you're talking about marketing, social media is a very powerful marketing tool. Sure, you can do it, but you'd have to be pretty creative to work your way around it because you're trying right. to connect with people and people connect with each other through social media. It's social media. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's how people are social. So that's where they go to connect. Uh, right. Now, that being said, for example, let's say that you want to start a reptile business and your passion is to be a, I mean, a Euromastix breeder. You love Euromastix, yes. you know, the spiny tail lizard. Right. And you want to breed those and come up with the, the highest quality thing. Next thing you know, you're, you're selling to people at shows. You're doing this, you're doing that. What, you know, you're on Facebook, you're shooting YouTube videos. And you're like, wait a minute, I hate all of this. And I don't even get to hang with my Euros because I'm hanging out with morons all day fighting about stuff on Facebook. I think you didn't look at that big picture perspective. Because if I want to be a Euromastix breeder, what I would do is figure out which ones have the good payoff and have a good market that's basically bottomless. And, and what I can maybe, maybe just wholesale them to people who do want to deal with all that stuff, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I'll find wholesalers that are in line with my set of morals and make sure my animals go to good places or whatever the case may be. And I say, what kind of animals do you want and what do you pay for them? And then I go home and I run my numbers and I see if I can pr- produce those for a profit. Well, then guess what happens? I, I have my network of five people that I sell to, and that empowers mm-hmm. me to go camping on the weekends. And come home during right. the week and just breathe my Euromastics. And look at how awesome the cute babies are. I get to hatch every baby. I get to name and know every adult. Every right. single one co- goes through my hands as my touch. And I'm providing to them to the world. And as long as I don't have the ego where I need to be the guy whose name is branded on the side of the animal, what does mm. it matter? Yeah. Let them go. Right. Make a good living. And it was funny. I was talking to a guy who uh, has been following me and what I've been doing with Dwarf and Super Dwarf Retics for a long time. I was talking mm-hmm. to him today. And he saw that clutch that I posted as a little tiny little Super Dwarf on my Facebook page next to the Coca-Cola bottle sitting on a mm-hmm. pile yes, of Yes, I love that. Eggs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah cute awesome little girl. Picture. She looks like a carpet <laughs> python, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> yeah, they're cool, man. Anyway, um, Great. And that, you know, that female is like six years old and it's just been so I'm, I'm very excited for, from a selective breeding standpoint for that breeding, but he congratulated me. He was like, that's the first clutch you've made since you moved to Cal- uh, to Pennsylvania back in 2013. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, you haven't made any other since then. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I have all these animals. I, I've been, I've been wholesaling them to other people. I've been producing animals and selling them this whole time and working with the animals. You know, I've been making a living before I quit my job. Uh, right. I've been mm-hmm. breeding the animals, developing my collection and honing it and getting it to where I want, uh, just as a hobby. But the, the can I go full time thing has been bugging me so much that I decided if I can get my efficiencies down to the point where I, I chose for the first quarter of last year, if I can match my pay, my salary from my regular job for the first quarter with reptiles while doing them extremely part-time, I'm going to make the jump. 
And so I matched it first quarter. I spent second quarter of last year planning this shift and telling my company and everything like that what was going on and gearing up for everything. And, uh, and then at the end of July last year, I, I, that was it. I pulled the plug and, and I have just been doing reptile. But they have been uh, a means of finances for me all along because you know why I need to make money with reptiles? Because for some reason, everything I like is expensive. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know how this goes. If you have a job and you're pulling money, let's say I'm going to buy a $5,000 snake, and I'm pulling money from my job to buy that snake, I'm like, oh, should I buy a snake? Should I buy – I mean, what else can you get with $1,000? A quad, take a trip to Tahiti, you know what I mean? There's a lot you can do with $5,000, and it's painful to spend that on an animal. But if sure. you made that animal breeding animals, that's monopoly money, baby. You go to the reptile show and you make it rain. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I just had the clutch. I wholesaled it out. Someone wrote me a $10,000 check last night. You know what I mean? I'm going to spend at least 8000 of this on irresponsible things. You know, and, and, and that allows you to just, it, it starts a snowball effect and it keeps it going. Um, right. So, so anyway, absolutely, yeah, you don't have to talk with people, at least not very many people, to make a living with reptiles. The funny thing is a lot of us that like reptiles, we're kind of outliers of society anyway. We don't like people. So we get into reptiles, and the next thing you know, all we do is talk to, like, beginners and people that annoy us all the time. Not that, I, I mean, <laughs> beginners don't annoy me. That is my job. I enjoy <laughs> that. But, but a lot of people don't like it. You know, they don't have the patience or the time for it. They don't want someone calling them at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, because they're right. like, you're a mastic. So I would say don't don't even, don't ever do marketing for that. Go shake a few hands. <laughs> they like your animals. If I could sell you animals better quality than this for half the price, would you care to buy them wholesale from me and set up a couple of people and go to town? Or on the flip side, let's say you want to be a retailer. Um, one of my volunteers is actually uh, a kid cousin of mine. His name's Jeremy Fink, and he wanted to start this little business. He calls it Phase, P-H-A-S-E, Pythons Helping a Student's Education. And he heard a story <laughs> about how I bought my first car with reptile money, and so he okay. wanted to try to do that for college. Good, good on you. You know, I was like, dude, that's awesome. I'll help you out. I never even went to college. You know what I mean? So. Uh, so I started helping him out, and I said, well, what's your business plan? He says, well, I'm going to sell ball python. I said, well, how are you going to do that? He goes, well, I bought a, uh, I bought a lemon blast, pet for clown, and I bought these clowns, and so I'm going to raise them up, and just about three years from now, I'll be able to start doing that. And my thing was like, dude, you know, you, if, you're, if your goal is to sell animals and make those connections with people, why do you right. need to breed those animals? especially something like a ball python. Do you know how many people are out there breeding ball pythons that can't sell them for the life of them? <laughs> I said, <laughs> everywhere. I said, hold on. Yeah. I said, hold on a second. We're going to pull out one of my old baby racks. We're going to throw a new thermostat on it and get you all set up. You're going to take this to your house. I'm going to make some phone calls. I made a couple right. of calls. I had them 50 baby ball pythons within a week for free, no money down. From right. people that are like, yeah, I got some extras. I'll toss you a few. That's a cool cause. I told them the story. They fell in love with it. Next thing you know, he has 50 baby ball pythons of the absolute highest quality. These are animals that Jesus. were produced by Aussie. You know what I mean? They were produced by yeah. you know, like 
the, and not just him. I mean, there's a bunch of other people too. I don't know if I should name everybody, but, um, but these are like top breeders in the country that as a kid, I'm, I'm sorry, you just can't hope to jump to that level. But now you're offering animals that are the highest quality possible immediately. And let's right. see how well right. you sell them. And then they, you know, he set up an arrangement where he would sell the animals on consignment and, and kick back a thing. So if that's what you'd want to do, if you want to be a retailer, why are you focusing on breeding? If you want to be a breeder, why are you focusing on a YouTube channel? You know, like, what are you doing? It's like you immediately went 180 degrees the wrong direction from the get-go. And it's because of exactly what you said, Eric. I think everyone thinks they have to follow this pre-prescribed formula, and it's just not true. Right. right. Yeah, <clears throat> you can be successful without, you know, following uh... – yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, you know, you were asking Owen at the beginning of, like, um, of the show about your booth. And the one thing that stands out to me about your booth and your setup is that you're welcoming people in. And a lot of times what I see people at reptile shows, and it's, like, drives me nuts, is that that you, you like, walk up to them, you're looking at their animals, and they don't say anything to you. Or, you know, like, how are you supposed to sell a thousand dollar animal to somebody that you're not even going to say hello to you know because yeah. they believe that the value is there they believe that hey that's a clown pie it's worth x amount so if i just put the number on it i can sell it right that's yeah. why it's not right. correct but that's why they do that I'll, I'll take you one further eric not only am i interacting with people at the shows uh most i mean nine tenths of the time when i go to a show I don't uh-huh. have any animals available. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything to sell. And that was going to be my next like, question. I'm not going to go to that show. I don't have anything to sell. Well, I'm right. going to go to that show because 2,000 people are going to walk by my booth, shake my hand while I look them in the eyes, and make a personal connection with them like nobody else is. And then if they want a super dwarf, I'm going to tell them they got to get their butt in line on a waiting list like everybody else because those suckers lay 10 eggs every two years. You know what I mean? So they're going to cost a lot and you're going to wait for two years to get it. And I guarantee once you have it, you'll never sell it because it took you so much effort to get it. (laughs) (laughs) And that animal will be be very well treated. And, uh, but nevertheless, I show up and I, and I put up and I'm, I'm there to meet people and explain to them who I am because they can buy from me online any day of the week, but there are very few opportunities for me to shake hands with someone that lives in Michigan or Georgia. Plus doesn't, plus, doesn't it take time to sort of establish a, you know, like, for instance, I'll, I'll use you, Owen. Like, everybody knows you and Matt, Jason, and Howard. You know, you're going to be yeah. at Hamburg because you go to Hamburg. Yes. You're, like, constantly trying to get into Hamburg. You're doing anything and everything that you, you know, can. You know what I mean? You mess, no, I'm saying you it what I'm saying. Twice. <laughs> no, 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 no. What I'm, I'm, I'm saying this in a good way. What I'm saying is is that you're putting in the time. So right. what happens, and I'm just being honest with myself, it's like, you know, I quit on it because, well, one, because I really don't like Hamburg. I don't like the show. But <laughs> if I did, the point is, is that, like, I would go there and I'm not selling anything, but I see you guys selling it. And what I'm not, what I had to learn was, is that, well, you've guys been doing it for five years. 
I'm just showing up. Mm. So these people that mm. go to the show all the time know you. They know Jason. They know Howard. They know, you know, whoever, Matt. Um, but they don't know who me. They, they may know me through you. You know what I mean? Like there may be people walking right. around the show has no idea what NPR is. They're like, what are you talking about? There's podcasts that talk about reptiles. What are you talking about? You're crazy. So like Exactly. Yeah. So like, so my question to you, Garrett, is, is that, is that, an important part of the, the whole business model of, of building a reptile. Do you pick certain shows? Do you, you know, cause like I always go to October Tinley to me, that's the show that I'm going to every year and that's where I'm going to Python be. show. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let me, uh, I, I think you're, you're getting into a question that kind of actually covers everything else about marketing. Um, I'm looking at your little Evernote thing that you, you sent out here and right. it's going over some of the questions and stuff. And you wanted to talk about reptile shows, websites, YouTube, taking good pictures, all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the topic that you're starting to skirt around right now is consistency that you deliver your message in. And that is yeah. absolutely important. Um, I, I had to miss, when I went to Tinley in March, I had to miss my local Pittsburgh show. Now, it's funny, mm-hmm. I don't sell anything ever at that mm-hmm. local Pittsburgh show, ever, ever, ever. But I have sold stuff to people I met there. Mm-hmm. And I told the show promoter, I said, you know what, I want to be a permanent fixture at this show because this is my town and I'm going to own this town. You know what I'm saying? From a marketing right. standpoint, I mean, I want I want people to feel like when they come to Pittsburgh – this is Garrett's town, you know? So even when I'm not there, I'm going to actually build a second booth. That's an unmanned booth with a little TV plan of me saying, Hey, sorry, I can't be here. Take a sticker for your kids, you know, hit me up on YouTube, right on my chalkboard, post it on mm-hmm. social media. And I'll do a drawing with all the entries at the end for a free super door for something like that. And then I'm just kind of spitballing ideas, but I want to maintain the consistency. And so, right. yeah, it's, it's just like anything else. You want to be able to do it well. I wouldn't try to go blast every single show that I could. I would have a little bit of success and a lot of failure and try a bunch of stuff and work my butt off and then figure out what's really paying me back and focus my efficiencies in that regard. But yeah, you should, you should get yourself out the door. And if you can't do it every single time, then choose to be there every six months or choose to have somebody else there. You know, um, I would rather probably it be me every six months than someone else every month. But right. um, but you, there's different ways to do it. But you want people to be able to rely on you, uh, mm-hmm. and it draws anticipation that when I go to you know the White Plains show, I get to hang with you guys. And I may not have asked mm-hmm. you about that in advance, but if I drive all the way out there, I'm going to be pretty disappointed that you didn't show because someone's got a soccer game or something. You know, right. even though right. yeah. that's your family and that's your life and obviously you're entitled to it. But if you want to have the best time connecting with people, it has to be consistent and there has to be a way to go about it. So I would do this with everything. Are you guys familiar with an app called Hootsuite or software called Hootsuite? Yeah, I am. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I am basically not. It, yeah. Okay. It's basically it, it posts, it crafts, uh, posts for social media across all platforms. Yep. So if, if you never want to go on Facebook again, 
but you still want to use the platform to connect with people on Facebook, you go on your Hootsuite account and you make three posts for the week, one for Monday at 3 p.m., one for Wednesday morning, right, and then one for Saturday afternoon. And you put them on your Hootsuite calendar for the week, and they automatically post when you go up. Okay. And you can do it infinitely as far in advance as you want. And then you can do your Instagram posts on there. You can do your Twitter posts. You can do all that kind of stuff. And it's going to do all of that stuff for you automatically. Um, if you uh, reach people with the email marketing campaign, you want to be on something like MailChimp where I can set up, a, I can create a template for emails. And this is what I do for people that are interested in my breedings. They need to reach out to me and I ask them for their, their uh, phone number and their email. And then when eggs hatch that could contain the animal that they're interested in, I tell them, hey, you are on the list for these animals. Uh, there's this many slots above you. It may or may not get to your turn to pick, but I want to give you a heads up. These animals are due to hatch on X date. Here's the parents. Start saving your pennies. And so that allows them to have their payment plan that they need, but they do it preemptively rather than me keeping an animal for four months while mm-hmm. they try to pay off. They start paying up now, and if they, they are unable to pay when they hatch, no problem. I'm going to bump you to the bottom of the list and go to the next person and in line. Right? Yeah. And if I if I run out to if I'm able to sell all the animals and still have some left over, we can talk about payment plans. But if you don't want to miss the opportunity, if someone else says they're going to get them, you're waiting until next year on that clutch. Do you still want the payment plan, or are you ready to whip out a credit card? I mean, you know, I'm not trying to be mean to them or anything, but what I'm actually trying to do is connect with them consistently through email and give them consistent updates. Uh, one thing I'm doing right now, if you go on ReachOutReptiles.com. The website sucks. It falls apart. It looks kind of like a little bit my style, but I just threw it together. Uh, There's a lot of really cool website programs. I use Wix, uh, which is a little bit oversimplified, but it's very easy to design and create. And that was what I was going for was creation and design. You know, you want Shopify if you're pumping product out or you want WordPress if you're pumping information out. But the Wix website does a pretty good job for design and looking good. If you just want to have an online business card, that's where you go. But what I'm trying to do is create a place where people can sign up for to follow certain clutches or certain projects, and they'll be notified before anybody else with updates, with pictures. They're going to see – I like that. let's Let's say you want in on the very first – albino pied super dwarf right well guess yeah. what? that's not happening for eight years but go ahead on there and you can sign up and you will be the first one in the world to receive a picture in your inbox of that snake pipping the very first time it ever happens and that's right. pretty cool so yeah. uh but but you use these different whether it's hootsuite for social media uh mailchimp for email or other things like i said Set up a booth that's an unmanned booth and do that at the, at the shows. With YouTube, you can schedule posts and releases. So I can go on Thursday, shoot all my YouTube videos for however many weeks in advance I'm able to, and schedule them to release. You know, and they just go up without me doing anything on any other day. But the most important thing for putting a message out is that it is consistent. And you want to, if, if you're clever, you can do things to let people know it's consistent. Like, for example, on YouTube now, uh, on my YouTube, I do every week a little segment called Free Tip Friday. 
Yep. Okay, and it does several okay. things. People are like, oh, it's a free tip. I can't give up something that's free. I better go watch this guy's video. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So it's free. You got to go get something on free. And you know it's coming on Friday. Now, you better sign up and subscribe so that you don't miss the next time it's released. But even if you don't subscribe, you know that I'm drawing traffic to my YouTube channel on Fridays because it's, it's on Friday. It happens every time, and you can remember it because it's called Free Tip Friday, so it's easy to remember. So right. whatever you can do to help your customers know how and when and where to connect with you. Like when I answer messages on Monday after ignoring everyone every weekend, it always starts off with, they're always like, oh, by the way, and it'll be 10 messages, and they're like, hello, hello, hello at the <laughs> end. And then I just ignore them, right. and then I come in on Monday, and I say, hey, happy Monday. I hope you had a great weekend with your family, you know, because I did. And then right. I, mm-hmm. I just go in and answer all that stuff. Right. Um, so they, they kind of know, like, they're going to either see the pattern eventually, listen to this show, and then they'll be like, that's why that bastard never talks back to me, you know what I mean, or whatever. <laughs> and they're, they're going to figure it out eventually. Or I'm going to message them immediately and say, I'll talk to you on Monday. Um, right. But you're, well, you're going to train your customers. And those of you who are listening who just have a couple of snakes and are buying, you better train your buyers. You better train yeah. your buyers. You know what I mean? If you're going to go buy, this is in my niche, a, a, a pet peeve or whatever, an 87.5% super dwarf. Boy, that's a lot of locality blood put back into there. That means that person has worked either three generations selective breeding if you're working with incomplete dominant genes or six generations with recessive genes to get that in there not a lot of people have done that so if i'm going to claim these outlandish numbers um and i'm not picking on anybody here i'm calling us all to a higher standard including myself i Mm -hmm. i think it's reasonable as a customer to say how did you get to that number Mm mm-hmm and, right. and in the retic world, like if it was green tree pythons, they'd be like, well, check out my chart. You know, it goes back to its signal mm-hmm. herp, and then they took it from there, and it goes all the way back to the wild. And superdorf people don't do that, but maybe we should. And yeah. if that's uh, what the customers cool. want to see, and they say, well, I buy from Garrett because he has his lineages going back to the wild, then I'm, I'm sorry, other superdorf breeders. Track your animals. Know what you have. Provide provide uh good stuff and and then people can come to you too and do yeah, that, that was... but as a buyer you have the power to dictate what you want from breeders because you're giving them your money what and and us as sellers as breeders it's always that they they use car sales the question is what is it going to take for me to take your money right 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 yeah and it's, yeah. that's yeah. that's the direct cheesy way to say it that nobody wants that kind of like a feeling about it but but there's truth to that. I mean, you're giving your money to somebody. Tell them what you want. Right. Am I right? Absolutely. Like, you know, I, I remember when we started talking about the whole lineage thing and it was like, you know, we were looking at Chondra and this was way back in the beginning of NPR. And it was like, yeah. we were looking at the lineage for, um, you know, chondros and stuff. And, and it was like, wow, that would be cool if we could do that with carpets. And it was just this way to set yourself apart. And it was, it became, even that mm-hmm. became drama because it was like, you have the people are like, ah, they're doing lineage, they're morons, you know? And it's like, no, you're not understanding what I'm trying to set myself apart. I don't care if you do lineage or not, but if that's something right. that yeah. you want, this is what I'm offering. And right. you know, the guy over here, he doesn't have it, nor does he care about it. Not that he's wrong and I'm right or vice versa. It's just that, you know, I'm trying to 
give you an added value, if you will. You know? Yeah, and that well, and that's what I'm talking about. I'm not even really talking about lineage, should you or shouldn't you. I'm saying right. if that's what the customer wants, ask for it. And make sure that right. you get it before you give them the money and reward your, your breeders with that. And, you know, uh, I don't know. I just think if you have money, if you're going to go drop $500 on a snake, you know, you can give it to the guy who bought a snake irresponsibly and is selling it again because he wants to buy another mm. snake irresponsibly. And you can perpetuate that. <laughs> or you can give it to somebody and that is going to, to feed his kids or feed his snakes or help him buy, uh, you know, upgrade his caging that we all have to do every now and then, or, you know, yeah. whatever it is. So, you know, I, I really think that we should just live intentionally in that way. And by buying from a breeder who's passionate about something, you can really uh, absolutely change the way the hobby is. Everybody sits mm-hmm. around and complains about stuff, and every one of us is guilty of feeding into the same problems too. Right. You know, right. And, and Eric, with your lineages, you, maybe you don't have any data going back and say, I don't know, but this is what I got. I mean, I can at least right. name my animals so that if I sell you a snow retic out of this clutch that I have hatching right now, and then you, you know, and I sell you a female and then two years from now you want to go back and buy a male and I just sell you another snow retic. How do you know it's not her brother and you yeah. want a diverse bloodline? Well, no, right. I can say, well, that, that clutch that you bought was clutch 37, which came from female A to male X or, you know what I mean? Or, oh, that's my Susan line snow. Oh, yeah, you want to breed that into the Sally line, you know, and, and now you have uh, good uh, genetic diversity. I mean, and that's just tracking my own animals. So, but sometimes customers don't you know, they're not the expert in the animals, so they don't know the right questions to ask. And then I think sometimes with us as breeders, if we do try to innovate or educate people, I know I run into this. You don't do it to some other educated, quote-unquote, person's liking, and they crucify you for it. And that's what you're talking about, Eric. You right. know, and you're like, hey, look, right. I, I'm trying to do something new here. Uh, and, well, uh yeah, what had happened is is that, you know, it's because, well, we're doing this, and now, oh, well, in order to keep up with you, now we have to do that, or they felt that they have to do that. Well, I'm not telling you have to do it. I'm, this is just what I'm doing. You know, the thing of it yeah. is, yeah. is, like, I think in this day and age, a lot of younger people that are coming into the hobby or business or whatever, you know, they there's, there's, there's sort of a lack of um, – and it's not even their fault, but a lack of, I don't want to say respect. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but what it takes to produce, you know, that animal, whether it be that super dwarf, I, retic, I know what uh, yellow is. and black. I, I What's know that? what word it is. Ignorant. What's that? Mm. Right. I like so it. That's a good word. When you yeah, see, like when you see that I don't mean on that a piece a of paper, way. I mean, you don't right. know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. And so the when you see is, you're all paying, that work. Go ahead. ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say, like, you know, the thing of it was, is like you would see, like, okay, I'm looking at a yellow and black snake and it looks amazing. And and they're taking for granted that that's what every jungle should look like. Well, no, they used to look like this. So when you're complaining (laughs) that it costs $500, you know, or you're going to go to the table that's two down and you're going to get it for 150 bucks, understand what you're getting with this animal. 
You're getting a history right. behind it. You're getting the guy that I bought it from, you know, his hard work and the guy that, you know, I bought it from their hard work on and on and on as far as it goes back. But, you know, it's just like, I don't know. It's a way to pay respect for me to the people that came before me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, just to clarify when I'm throwing out that, that insulting word ignorance out there or whatever, <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the thing is, you know, ignorance means what? It means you don't know something. And right. there really isn't anything wrong with that because every single one of us, you know, the, whenever someone interviews in, you in this industry, they say, how did you get into reptiles? And you say, I liked them when I was a kid, and a little one, I caught it in my yard, and I loved it, you know. And uh, all of us, when we were picking that animal up, were ignorant of it until somebody told us. My daughter and I went out this last weekend. We are catching water snakes in the local lake, and uh, there were snakes everywhere. And so I was like, wait, wait, wait. Let me just get a good look at it because it's underwater. I don't know if it's Nerodia, a water snake, or if this is uh, Agkistrodon. Is this going to be venomous? And so right. let me take a look. And she's like, well, it's right there. Let me just grab it. And then you can look at it. And I'm like, <laughs> you're so cute no. and, and you're going to die. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like give daddy a second and make sure not only that that's the non-venomous one, but there aren't any other hiding venomous ones around before I have you charging in and picking up snakes underwater. Right. And, uh, hmm. you know, I love it. But And that's how we all got our start. And those were the good old days, right? But the good old right. days were also the days when we were ignorant. The sure. problem is now so many ignorant people have money. And so yeah. they're spending it in ignorant ways uh, by promoting practices that are, that are irresponsible. And then that's the legacy that they have. And they, they're doomed from the start. It's not their fault. They just have right. never had a good example of like what it used to be like. I mean, I'm, I'm, I like to consider myself like the youngest of the really truly old school <laughs> herpers. But when, when I, I remember sending out SASEs, does anyone remember what those are? Self-addressed stamped envelopes stamped to breeders envelopes. all yeah. over the country. <laughs> yeah. And they would, yeah. they would have their little printed threefold brochures of whatever kind of cool, like back in the day it was like, Ooh, Honduran uh, milk snake morphs. That's awesome. Or, you know what I mean? Like, Right. Uh, you would send those things off and I would get them from like the loves and uh, you know, Bob Applegate and stuff like that. And I'd collect all these things and I would have to, they'd say, send me $2 and 50 cents, the printing cost to make my price list and I'll send it to you in the mail. And it was like this weeks long process just to get somebody's availability list. But then when it came, you hang it on your wall and you're so excited. Mm-hmm. And on the bottom of that list has that person personal home phone number not a cell phone number is the kind with a cord but you can still call them and leave (laughs) a message on their answering machine and they might call you back and then here i am a 14 year old kid that saved my christmas and birthday money to go buy a 400 hundred dollar snake and it was an epic life-changing event now our attention span is gone and it's like i buy it now i'm tired of it and the value dropped on it so i don't care about it anymore and off it goes and and you're right. I mean, to get a black and yellow jungle carpet python is a tall order. And people take it for granted, yeah. and they expect you to match the price of something that's, you know, maybe 25% jungle carpet python to start with that they found online. Right. So, um, but the, the thing is, without us, 
you guys, me and everyone else that is selling reptiles, putting out that positive messaging like I, I try so hard to do with my YouTube. I mean, you were talking about the incubation episode. You know, a lot of work goes into that. And I'm talking about it's a 10-minute it's a video that people are probably going to watch six minutes of, but it's based mm-hmm. on 20 years of killing eggs and having eggs survive. You know, it's right. like, geez, it's probably worth the 10-minute watch. You know right. what I'm saying? And, and <laughs> you don't have to do what I'm telling you to do, but at least you're getting 10, you're getting 20 years of experience in 10 minutes. You know, and, and you may have a better way to incubate eggs than me, but I have 20 years of experience that because of my unique situation, you could never hope to have. So, right. you know, uh, just gather the information from where you can, and when you find a good source of information – reward it by voting with your dollar as much as you can so that that source can continue because this, this dream we all, everyone that's wanted to do it on their own, it's, it's terrifying. It's a gut wrenching decision. And if you're, if you, if you have a family, you're not the only one involved in that decision. I mean, my wife has to do a thousand times more things because I work for myself now to, Mm -hmm. to be able to support what I'm doing. So, when you're helping those people stay, you are creating and dictating the future of this industry. When you're paying the guy the $500 for a snake because you found it on Craigslist and it's worth $750, but he's just going to take that $500 and go buy another one irresponsibly, then that's what you're perpetuating. So I really think on all sides, it's a lot more rewarding to be intentional, to do what you love, and to form connections that are so sorely lacking in this world today. And we can do that through social media. We can do it through shows. You know, we can do it through emails or phone calls or, or you know, uh, online radio stuff. I, I mean, it really right. doesn't matter the platform, but you want to have mm-hmm. your message. And the easy way, like Eric, before we went online, I told you I'm going to be shooting from the hip for this episode, Right. I said right. I had a bunch of stuff. One of my kids went to the emergency room uh, today, and then uh, one of my pythons laid last night unexpectedly. I was off on the timing, and so I was up all night uh, with her. And so, uh, but the way I'm able to get on here and jump on this kind of stuff is because this is a message that I've been preaching from any platform <laughs> that will allow me to. So right. it's really not that hard to do, and I actually prefer this kind of format because. I might make mistakes or I may not say things the sexiest way as if I had like written out all my responses in advance or something. But what you're getting is the genuine article. And I think that's another thing that's lacking in the world today. People make themselves into what they think they have to, to be successful in the reptile industry. And I'm just saying, whoa, here I am world, take it or leave it. And some people (laughs) hate it and some people like it, you know, and that's great. I'm fine with that. I, you know, I, I'm a good-natured guy. I joke around with the guys that hate it. I don't have any hard feelings about that. And I enjoy the people that like it, and we go have a beer after the show or whatever, you know? Um, but that, but right. that's what I'm saying. Like, support the industry. Support the species. Don't be the kind of guy that's like, oh, I've wanted one of those my whole life, and then the time you, the one time you have the opportunity to buy it, you don't because you have, like, fear of finding a better offer, you know? Oh. Go find a, the best breeder you can and buy whatever animal you can. Yeah. Buy, go buy another one from him the next time he does, and he'll remember you. You know, right. now you have like a connection with someone that professionally spends all their time, space, and money 
devoting themselves, keeping hundreds of an animal that you like so that you can buy your one at convenience when you're ready. Gotcha. That's good advice. So it is. <laughs> I think uh, you know the, one of the. Now we're in overtime now, but the one of the questions I want to get in there is, you know, the idea of because you're focused, and this is something that I struggle with back and forth all the time, or have struggled with, but like having a focus, you know, I really respect the 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 people that are doing that and focused on a species and refining it and making it, you know better and better and better and like you know they don't eat with any problems and like everybody's just thinking about like the morph part of it but you mm-hmm. know there's other parts of it too that you can like make that animal better and et cetera, et cetera. um is it is there i guess there's not a wrong or a right way but when you're focusing it do you have to have a different uh, mindset than if you have a very diverse collection or should you have diversity, you know, think like, should that be something you think about? What, what's your thoughts? I think it's intelligent to have a diversified portfolio. Um, mm-hmm. And I do that within my particular focus group that I enjoy, which is the dwarf and super dwarf retics. I do mm-hmm. it by right. the cool thing about dwarfs and super dwarfs is you have a locality side and a morph side available. And you have the selective breeding for size side to where a lot of people say, I want to have a retic, but it gets too big. I can offer you a retic, anything from pretty much corn snake size and up. And so mm-hmm. that's pretty diverse. Uh, and you can cover a lot of markets there. I could easily be a lot more diverse or like Eric, one of the things that I think is really cool that you're doing is trying to have one of every, well, how are you defining it? Like one of every species of Python yes. or something. Yeah. So that's insane for me because <laughs> when you do that, I mean, I know they're all pythons still, but you are specializing to a point. You're specializing in yeah. pythons. Right. And when you do that, you're probably not going to have 60 of the super dwarf articulated pythons in that collection. You know, no. uh, you're, you're going to have no. a, a nice tight trio or something like that. And, and then you're going to have, you know, a pair of these and a pair of those and whatever, but always a trio of super dwarfs. No, I'm just kidding. Always You are specifying and the diversity that you're bringing is actually a part of it. So it kind of reminds me of like the, the people that come to mind with that are the Barkers, Dave and Tracy. Um, they have dedicated so much of their time to pythons and they've done right. all kinds of like wild things as far as like keeping retics in like indoor, outdoor enclosures, all the crazy blood pythons. They were bringing stuff in and having them scientifically classified and writing pseudoscientific papers that the scientific industry would be like, oh, dang, I think these guys are onto something. We better get out to the jungle and do some DNA samples, you know? Do shit, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, like really groundbreaking stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so what's kind of neat is that I'm going to have a certain amount of knowledge about one thing. You're going right. to have a lesser level of knowledge, but across a broader base. So you would be like the family practice pediatrician and I would be like the neurosurgeon, if that makes right. sense. I mean, yeah, yeah, you can be successful doing both of those. It's just a different kind of a job, you know? And so like I could, I could probably learn a lot of things from you because 
all I've ever thought about is super dwarfs and dwarfs. And you're like, you know what? These Papuans do some stuff that's kind of similar in that, and I found this to be a solution. And that also worked across cover, uh, several other species for me. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, dang, I, say, you know, I should try that. You know? Right. Um, and I may be able to innovate within my niche because of your broader knowledge. So uh, there, there really isn't anything. And then obviously within that collection, you're going to have stuff that's easily available, and you're going to have stuff that's pretty stinking rare that right. may not be able to be found anywhere else. You get your, what is it, Wetar Islands pythons yet, or what's the mm-hmm. one I'm thinking of? Dunai? Dun, um, Dun pythons? The Dunai. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I want the Dunai. <laughs> so, I don't know if I said that right or whatever, but, yeah, I mean, you have these, like, uber-rare species that you're going to have to somehow tackle. And, uh, and so what's kind of cool is you can create a python platform that is that really is broad reaching and somebody that only wants ball pythons doesn't need to know who i am i mean they might right. listen to a marketing show and be like those are some good marketing ideas um and come to me for business development or something at some point but they don't they don't need to interact with me but <clears throat> if you are the uh the all pythons guy and you have a specific locality of super dwarfs or specific lineage that I need to follow because it's relevant to me, uh, and I might get some stuff from you later to diversify my bloodline, I mean, that's that's pretty incredible. Uh, And then, you know, I would look at other venues. Like, so pretend you're in your shoes 10 years from now and you have this collection all ironed out uh, and breeding and everything. What would you do if you had every single species of python I might start going to like general media stuff, you know, because that's something that's pretty cool that other people can appreciate. You know, I may begin doing uh, lectures with a zoological park. Uh, You could very well write a book. You know, if I wrote a book about super dwarfs, there's going to be 12 people that want it. If you write a book about every single Python species that exists, everybody wants it. But my biggest question for you, Eric is, what ball pythons will you have? <laughs> I have? I have ball he pythons now. I have them now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I like. Uh, I like I the desert ghost stuff. On like, ooh, I need voltas or you know something like locality pure wild caught ball python or something. <laughs> that would be cool, but no. I would be the only one that would care. <laughs> no, it, exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, but only until only until you told people how cool they were with your well crafted message. So, yeah, I mean, like for me, well, this is a perfect example that ties into exactly what you were saying earlier. It's like, you know, for years, I love carpet pythons. They are my favorite python, hands down, right? But that being said, there was always this, like, driving thing with me since I was a kid. Like, you know, I remember looking at the Stafford book, uh, Boas and Pythons, and just being amazed by the pythons and getting a Burmese python when I was a teenager and blah, blah, blah. And it just, it's always stuck with me. And it was like, uh, I kind of, I kind of fell into this groove where I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to focus on something. What can I focus on? Uh, well, these carpets just seem to stay with me, you know, all the other stuff goes in and out. So why don't I focus on that? So I started getting into that, but like, it's still driving me back to that, you know, yeah, but walnut pythons are cool. Retics are cool. Berms are cool. 
this is cool. White you know, lips. Bloods are cool. White lips, and ring pythons. <laughs> and then I started to think, like, you know, it's sad. <clears throat> I think I think what 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 actually solidified this for me was being at a show and like, you know, somebody not knowing what uh, olive python was or never saw yeah. one. And then you're interacting yep. with it, and you're like, oh, my God, this snake is amazing. But because it's not a flashy this or that, you know, it doesn't get that same attention. But I bet you if I put it in your hands, you're going to have a whole different feel. You know, like, it's just yeah, it, it, it's just those things. That is just a secret weapon, to... by the way, of, of every snake breeder. The best marketing you can do is just put that snake in somebody's hand, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. Everybody That's, a dangerous, that. That's a dangerous and play. Then, yeah. And then when they're looking at it, say, let's step outside for a second. You know, let's look at that thing in the sun, you know, and then it's oh. over. Oh, then it's, but, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, anyway, so, like, so the the whole thing was is that I'm trying to, to, to follow somebody else's dream and not doing my dream, you know, and people yeah. may say, oh, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. Why do you want to do that? There's no money in it. Blah, blah, blah. Well, it's not, it's not about that for me at this point. You know, it's just something that I always wanted to do. And I think it's like one of those things that just like you're saying, if you're passionate about it and you do it, then, you know, if I'm the only guy that's breeding ring pythons one year, well, I'm the only guy that has, them. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, right. Well, and I would I would challenge you to think even bigger than that because it's not just about you get a cool clutch of random pythons every year and stuff like that because that that probably is harder to kind of cast that marketing net and have things land in a solid way. But if you right. can actually, I mean, by the time you have every species of python, that's pretty insane. That is I mean, awesome. Who who can yeah. say that? Now, not many sudden, places. Yeah, now now all of a sudden you come across as, I mean, and rightly so, somewhat of an authority on the subject. You know, oh, yeah, I have one of those. I have one of those. I have one of those. You trumpet every conversation. And so what right. I would challenge you to do is try to cleverly figure out more streams of income that you can create because of that. And what is your next step? Always think ahead. So maybe – you know, once you have every species of python and you go to mm-hmm. all these media outlets and stuff and you begin writing a book, then you're going to sell that book, but you're going to promote your book sales by having a YouTube show where you visit every <laughs> species of python in the wild and add credence and credibility and information oh, that would be to cool. what you're saying. And you're like, hey, this week we're going to spend a whole 15-minute episode on the olive python, you right. know, Papuan and Australian. We're going to compare the two differences. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're in the wild. And then at the end of your episode, you have a call to action to sell this book, you know, and now you're casting a net that's starting to bring people in and starting to get into this, you know, and then maybe, maybe you do something where you you start the every python club and only right. people can be in it are the people that have every species of python. Well, guess who they're right. going to have to get those hard-to-find ones off of? Right. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, once you have it, it's just like me. If I Once I produce that triple recessive animal, I can actually go ahead and produce more of them. But until right. I get to that point, it's like an impossibility. Once you have every single pu- a species of python, 
you can actually, if I came to you the year after that and said, hey, I want every species of python, you'd be like, well, you know, give me your budget and I'll triple <laughs> feed your stuff until you're there. Right. You know, and I, I'll just start direct depositing checks over to your account and you can pull whatever ones you think I need off of there and start shipping them to me on a, on a monthly subscription package. You know what I mean? I don't know. You know what I mean? By the end of four months with 0% interest, you too will have every species of price. So, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I would challenge you to be creative about that. That's a certain status level achieved. And once you get that, how do you use it to your advantage? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's stuff I have to think about. But you know, I I, I just I am always like the guys that impress me the most are the guys that even if they're not working with it now, but have worked with these different species, didn't even know that they worked with them. You know what I mean? And they're like, yeah. oh, well, right. I wouldn't do that because I did this and I worked with them and they were this way and that way and that. I just think it gives you a better understanding of how they work. You it know? Does. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and things definitely translate from one species to the next too. So it's never a learn a wasted experience to learn something. I mean, when I said that I made enough money to buy my first truck cash as a 16 year old, um, I had spent the previous three years commercially breeding leopard geckos. And then I moved into like uh, Australian dwarf monitors. And that's where I learned all this incubation crap because those suckers incubate forever. <laughs> right. and, and so, but now I'm, I'm, uh, I, you know, I, I have a new kind of a test or a theory that I'm running with this clutch that I pulled last night where I have half the clutch set up one way and half the clutch the other way. And I'm going to run a few experiments and I, I may innovate further, but it all started with that previous knowledge. So when you do have those things, and that's what I was saying, I could learn from you because you could say, well, dude, look at these tannin bars, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Those are, those are doing exactly what your super dwarfs are doing. Right. I've got that right. figured out, you know? So yeah, a lot of, a lot of times those Indonesian pythons are all coming from the same spot of different species, you know? And like, you know, that's yeah. why I would start to like, huh, I wonder what, you know, when I had Halmahera scrubs and I'm like, oh man, how do we figure out how to breed these things? And then, you know, yeah. you start looking at uh, retics for that, you know, like, oh, okay, well, retics right. come from Halmahera. How do they do with that? <laughs> you know? And yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I even do like with the super dwarfs, there's so much that doesn't seem to work when you apply regular reticulated python knowledge to them. And they are mm -hmm. genetically a distinct subspecies at least, you know, Right. Uh, there was talk of elevating them to full species status, and then you would have to buy some from me. But, uh, <clears throat> but I, uh, anyway. I already have it set up. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Just wait. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So yes, you and every other one of my customers apparently. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you know when I when I try to innovate with those, I look to things like green tree pythons or you know which are kept completely differently, and mm -hmm. and it really does challenge the way that I, I think of it, you know, instead of keeping a retic like a ball python or super dwarf like a ball python, what if we kept it like a green tree? Would that do better? What if, what if we applied, uh, you know, incubation theory from a blackhead python to it because we see mm -hmm. they mold too easy. So what if we, you know, what if we do it this way or what if we do it that way? You know? Um, so I, I don't know. I think that's, 
I, I just don't think it's ever a wasted education. I think it definitely translates across when you do those kinds of things. Right. Awesome. I mean, heck, I, I apply things I knew from working with horses to reptiles. You know what I mean? Especially when it right. comes to handling and stuff. So. Yeah, I think uh, I think Forrest said it when he was on the show, but um, the one thing that he maybe it was on another podcast that he was on, but anyway, he mentioned that he doesn't understand why more reptile people don't listen to these podcasts, even if it's a species that you don't necessarily deal with. You can learn. I mean, I'm listening to Chameleon Breeders podcast, and I don't keep chameleons. Do I, do I have any interest in keeping them? But every once in a while, I get a little nugget of information that I can apply to what I do. You know what I mean? Yeah. It makes me think right. about right. things in different ways. You know, like, huh, yep. okay. Absolutely. Oh, so. so that's the problem that chameleons, like, knowingly have because of lack of ventilation. Well, if I have a python with that problem, maybe it's a lack of ventilation, you know? And then next right. thing you know, you're putting some kind of weird vertical vent in your cages, and you never have respiratory <laughs> infection. And you figure Ever something again. else out that nobody else has figured out. Right. Right. So, right. right. That, that That is the way that it happens. And by the way, when you do figure something new out, Everyone disagrees with you and argues about it on social media for a few years until they catch up. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have to, you have to have thick skin, I guess, for that kind of stuff. But uh, well, or facts to back it up. <laughs> yeah, so, well, it doesn't matter. You, you can just be successful, and they cannot, and and then they'll go away. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fair enough. At the end of the um, at the end of it, it all comes around. So. The last question I was going to ask you um, is how do you plan your season as far as like, what if something doesn't take, do you have like a, you know, a backup plan? Do you like, how, how does that work for you as far as picking out your pairings and stuff and how many clutches you're going to do? And yeah, that's, that's a, a pretty good question. Um, but with me, I'm a little bit more lax about it. I mean, I, I think that's a big one if you have a lot of importance on one particular pairing, especially like gotcha. morph stuff or something like that, right? If you're like, okay, right. I need to make this world world's first thing, or maybe not mm-hmm. world's first, but I want to produce and hit this morph while it's at its pinnacle of profitability. And so you get a lot of stuff riding on that, and that's when that's going to really apply. Um I take things a lot more long-term and I like to have multiple animals, especially with the super dwarfs because, or, or anything like I wanted to breed scrub pythons. So I bought a few pairs of them, you know, okay. I, I want right. to be successful. I don't want everything to ride on that one set of animals. So right. I want to learn from the different ones and have a, a pool of information to, to go from. So in general with my super dwarf stuff, especially like locality stuff, my attitude is like, well, if it's supposed to exist, it will. If it dies out before they breed, that sucks. You know, at least I yeah. tried. But right. uh, nobody else seems to care until I do it and then tell them why they're supposed to care, you know. But uh, <laughs> and, and it's funny, the other people that do care are, we all just argue with each other, you know, because you're at that kind of like semi-professional level with stuff and people are always very opinionated, myself included, you know. Right. But... Um, <laughs> When I pair my breedings, I I definitely do pair them out that way. But I, 
find myself adjusting more based on what did happen. Like, let's say I'm going to produce so many clutches to produce a certain particular morph, and then I get really good odds on it with the first two, and then my next two females come online, I'll, I'll probably last-minute change those to not produce more of the same, you know? Right. Um, but if I don't get something, I don't – boy, I don't know. What can you do about that? Just you didn't right. get it. <laughs> it's got to roll over. You got to try it again next time. You don't really have too many options, um, right? I do. I do uh, some of kind of like the the I guess pro level stuff or whatever for breeding. Um, I do plan out split uh, father clutches. I don't know how okay. easy that is to do with other species, but sometimes I want to do a breeding where I really only want to produce a few holdbacks, you know, and so I I pair them up with that male and then I'll switch it up and go with another male and try to get that split sire clutch where I can keep everything back that came from the one breeding and then have other animals just to sell or whatever from the other breeding. Um, so I, I definitely do that. Uh, whenever I do <clears throat> like new crosses, um, I definitely focus on that. Um, I know I've been joking around about like the hybrid project stuff and that's a, a, a debatable topic or something, but if hmm. you were ever, I can neither confirm nor deny that I ever make hybrids over here. But if I was to try to make a hybrid of a species, I would rotate males in. And remember with super dwarfs to mainland retics, it, it kind of is a hybrid, you know? Um, right. So uh, I, I'm going to, and those are riskier breedings and lower fertility rates and stuff like that. So sometimes if you're going for a, a difficult to achieve cross, you're right. going to breed with the surefire male and then rotate the other dude in there and maybe he gets it. And that would be cool if he did. And then once you produce those F1 hybrids, you can run from there. So for example, Owen, if I did want to make a carpet Python retic cross hybrid yeah. cross, I would still get a pair of retics. I would just always rotate a carpet python in. I would intro a male retic and then pull that and put the male carpet in and or vice versa. You know, and and maybe you get a split father clutch and you get one hybrid, but do you care? You just made a hybrid carpet retic. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. um but but you still triggered everything correctly and had a good breeding and a female that didn't slug out and stuff like that. And so sometimes I do that to get these successful crossings, um, especially with, like, using superdorf females and stuff. They seem to do very well when you breed pure superdorfs together, but when you hybridize and you do it selective breeding my way, uh, quote-unquote the right way, uh, to make small snakes um, – it's hard to get a mainland male in there and not have that female get messed up. But if you could split father clutch it and just get a couple, especially if you're trying to make like a super dwarf het, whatever recessive gene, you know, or, or you use the super form of an incomplete dominant, you just run that male in there every now and then, and you let her make a clutch of pures and you get your couple of hets and that's all you need. And you grow them up and then you, you make your F2 hybrids. Uh, at where you bring all the visual stuff out the next generation. Keeps it rare, keeps it exclusive, lets your females be healthy, you know. So I don't know. That's kind of like experimental level stuff. So. Right. But 
but I, I do a lot of that too. Um, I don't know how often you guys get split father clutches, but it happens fairly regularly if you give it the opportunity. Uh, if you try here, you if I try with my carpets, I can, but I, I try to get one male to one female a year, which my question is, when do you kind of realize that maybe either a male or female isn't working? Like as a breeder. Oh, like ever. Yeah. Uh, what do, what that, do you call it? I don't know. I'm too stubborn. Um, <laughs> the female that bred last night is six years old, and, and she went through two other breeders that couldn't get her to go. Uh, mm-hmm. Last year, my my best clutch came off of a eight or she was eight or nine year old virgin female. So, uh, (laughs) if, if at first you don't succeed, you know, try, try again. I mean, the good thing is I have superdors that don't cost very much to keep around. So, um, and I'm not going anywhere, but I mean, yeah, you, you need to do that kind of stuff, but it's a lot harder to get rid of a female than it is a male. If a male is not working, you can kind of move them on and replace them pretty quickly, generally speaking. But a female, sometimes it's like, you know, just a little bit more maturity or whatever, or, or really a little a lot bit more times, food. Yeah. Well, you know, I just, I actually, I just figured out the answer to your question, Owen. Um, what I do is I build up frustration with them over the years. And then when they finally breed, I keep all of their babies and I sell their butt out the door. You know, to get out of here. And then what I do is I, well, I mean, you guys probably have had this. It's it's a lot easier to be successful with animals you produced, raising them from hatchlings. Absolutely. And a lot of times we think we can shortcut it by buying an older female or an adult. I mean, like I would buy a one-year-old or something, but you start to get a little bit older than that. And even then I would prefer raising my own. So a lot of times it's like, no, I need this female's genetics or I need this animal's genetics. So they're going to stay here until they do it. And especially with like wild caught stuff or locality stuff, they just never really acclimate that well to captivity. They're stubborn. They're tough. I have a clutch of pure uh, Bontayang Sulawesis that were produced by, by my buddy, Jonathan, um, working one of these deals out where he was able to produce them. I wasn't, but I'm selling them for him. And they're literally the only time they've ever been produced in the United States. And I've yes. already had a half a dozen people tell me, not just the United States, I think they're the only time they've been produced outside of where they live, like anywhere in the world. Um, and I've already had several people tell me, I'll wait until you breed them again next year. And I'm like, these are wild. I mean, they've never been bred before, and there's a reason for it. This might be a one-and-done type yeah. of a deal it's like buy a pair now and then wait till next year to buy a second pair if you want but right you know for pete's sake if you don't get them now they might go extinct it's you know i don't know some of the stuff you you have to know when to when to hold them and, and when to move on and and things like that but uh those kind of animals i mean they're i think they're worth holding on to until you get those really unique genetics out and then you can focus more on the next generation and you can do it better, you know? Yeah, yeah. I agree. I know that's, uh, I know usually you can ask Owen, usually I'm the guy that just jumps on stuff like that because of that, but just buys it immediately. When, yeah. When you I should. don't have the money, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh my well, God, cause I, I know, 
I know, I know exactly what you're saying, and I know I'm going to regret it. I know it. <laughs> I know it. And money is money. Money is money. I, I mean, it really is. It comes and it goes. But yeah. uh, a snake like that is a once in a lifetime. It, yeah. It's not. It it may never come again. Right. Money I mean, is money. You, you can. You know, you're, can you're not going to die. Things. You're not going to die if you overextend yourself a little bit. You know, so. <laughs> I might have to start driving Uber or something like that. To... <laughs> no, then that's what you got to do. You know, in bring right, an in your big truck, bring an investor in, your truck? in on the project. Convince someone with money that doesn't like snakes why they should be partner on that project. You know. And oh, there you go. I'm throwing know. it out there they to just... all those people in NPR land. <laughs> NPR land. Yeah. Eric needs investors for his all Python project. That's right. So, but uh, yeah, I like well, it. We're probably going to be cut off at any second, so let's do a little marketing for you. Um, how can yeah. people get in touch with you and, uh, you know, yeah. all your good uh, stuff? Well, you can, you can uh, if you want to get a hold of me directly, you can hit me up on email. It's just Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, at reachoutreptiles.com. Um, the website is ridiculous, but you can look it up and then find some contact information on there at least. Uh, but probably if you want to like follow me and keep up with stuff, Facebook is Mm -hmm. the best way to do that. And I don't have a a business page. I just run Garrett Hartle right now, personal page. And I do Mm -hmm. everything there, um, because I'm not really selling on that platform. And then, uh, you know, YouTube, go to the, go to the reach out reptiles, YouTube channel. Like you said, I mean, even if you're not doing super dwarf retics, there's really cool information on there. We've got stuff about incubation. I got stuff about uh, handling animals, theories of selective breeding, and they might shipping. be things that apply or that I learned. Yeah. Shipping. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, that, was a good one. that, that I might've learned with super dwarfs. But obviously that information is easily applicable to other species. And I really do try to, uh, to put out information as somebody that I'm like, okay, I'm, I've been doing this. I have a certain amount of experience with this topic. Uh, but what were the questions that I had back in the day? And I try to mm-hmm. answer those questions for my younger self so to speak. Gotcha. So, you know, if you're, if you're trying to learn those things, I, I really try hard to break down like good and sometimes fairly advanced information, but I do it in a way that, you know, hopefully most people can understand it. No problem. You know? Right. Um, so, I mean, anything from Mendelian genetics, if those like het this or het that confuses you or locality cross stuff. I mean, those are all fairly technical um, subjects, you know, uh, shipping is more like, don't send it without insulation in the box guys, you know, and I, I show how I do it, but what I, what I try to do on those channels is I I show how I do it. And then I, I say like what the non-negotiables are like, you have to do that, this, and this is how I attack that issue. You develop your own issue. So that's a really good one just for learning and watching and for people that just want to stalk me from afar for a while and not bite super dwarfs. Uh, (laughs) You can get, get all that on the YouTube channel. Gotcha. Yeah, you're doing a great job there, man. I really, really uh Thank you. Gotta give it to you. That's really solid. I, so you should check it out. Definitely. For sure. Yeah, I appreciate so. that. It's it's hard work, man. It is. Oh, no doubt. So all right. Um 
man, it was that's a lot of info. I appreciate you coming yeah. on and spending time with us, not sleeping for a couple of days and <laughs> that's what makes us so, so much more entertaining if i had if i had been you know drinking or whatever during it would just be that much better <laughs> amen yeah i'll throw it out to all the npr listeners like buy me a drink after the show and i'll tell you some stories man you know <laughs> nice. there you go, go. So, yeah yeah uh, so I appreciate you guys having me on, though. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect. I mean, when I'm talking about consistency and messaging, I mean, nobody does it like you guys do with NPR. I mean, this is just a, an incredible resource for everybody out there. And I got to say, after the response I got from the first show that I did with you guys, that really was mm-hmm. more about the dwarf and super dwarf retics, um, right. I just had a, a, a huge uh, comeback from that. You know, a lot of people talking to me. Uh, and, and they're completely new people. So it's obviously an alien platform that I had not utilized. And so I appreciate <laughs> you guys very much because most of the time I have to create my own platforms and run with them, but you guys are, are sharing your legacy with me. And so I, you know, I want you to know that I do understand how much work goes into this kind of thing. And I, I very much appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I mean, I try to listen to everything that I, I can of your guys when whenever I'm not doing the other work stuff. Um, right. Uh, you guys have so many great people on here. It's, it's incredible information all the time. So thank you guys for that. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. You're welcome back anytime, man. Just you tell us. We'll get you on. <laughs> you keep saying that. I've done two shows now. You know how much I can talk. you got to stop saying <laughs> that. That's fine. No. We That's got, the we guests got we like, episodes. man. Yeah, we Dude, got to fill yeah. episodes. I'm, yeah. I am the guy that is filling up the airwaves even when the thing isn't running. And, you know, you hit <laughs> off record and it's like, stay up talking to you till next morning. But I need to come right. see you guys at Carpet Fest, too. I know I've been saying yeah. that. Yeah, man. Um, Northeast. Yeah, I need to, I need to do that. I'll yeah, bring, I mean, this is this I'll is bring my, my retake so you feel better. I'm going to it out. There you go. I like it. Now, <laughs> there you now go. which one did yeah. you get? You got one from Matt, and he had the. I did. Uh, I believe it was like a a platy tiger, uh, motley head annery to a tiger head annery or something like that. Right? Was his breeding? Yeah. So what? It's got what stuff did you end up getting? I have no idea. I, he's told me numerous times. He's told oh me numerous God. times. It's my pet. Oh. I don't know what's in her. Uh, so, oh, you know, and I know I'm wasting, like, a phenomenal female <laughs> on, like... It's a female, too, as a pet? It's a girl. Oh. It's a girl. And, and she's, she's here. And she's, what, already a year and a half old? Yeah, she's pounding medium rats, and she's the nicest can Jeez. be. I had her playing with my nephew and his friends, like, let, like talking is. about she's her. Oh, dwarf. She's gorgeous. I love her so <laughs> much. And mm. it's, yeah, useless. Useless with me. Well, tell yeah. tell Matt to write it down for you and just well, pin yes, it somewhere. Yes. I feel bad asking so that it's someday, like every time. <laughs> it's like every time I ask him what the difference between a Borneo and a Blood is. Like his eyes roll back into his head, and he has to do it again. So yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, it's all on my YouTube channel. Uh, how big does a Superdorf get anyway? Or the Python genetics one about the Mendelian stuff. I, mean, I know you know how that works. All you I know. It's learn. 
there's you just got to learn the flavors that are available at the Baskin one thirty, you know, Baskin thirty one flavors of retakes. That's all. A lot of them are the same anyway. You guys have Jags with wobbles. We got Jags with wobbles. You want some wobbly Jags? You can get them over here or over there. You know, Um, exactly. (laughs) Pick your poison. Yeah. 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 Exactly. (laughs) So I don't think you guys have purple albinos yet, though. So. No. no, you better you better no. get with it. And you, no. you know what? Off the air, sometime I want to talk to you guys about the mode of inheritance of your azampics in carpets because I see the same thing in anneries. You know how people say like, ah, maybe it's not recessive, maybe it's more like an incomplete dominant because right. the visual, the hats are so uh, visual. I mean, more so than other morphs, people readily accept as as incomplete dominant. So I'd love to talk to you guys about that sometime because. Things that are easily accepted in the carpet python world, retic people geek out about. They're like, you can't redefine something. We've all been calling it this erroneously for decades. They're flipping tables. You know? <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Don't come to me and tell me something's allelic. It's a, it's recessive or it's incomplete dominant, and that's it. You know, what's this right. allelic stuff? You're making things up. It's all about the money. You know, yeah, yep. So it's. We're a tough crowd. We're a tough crowd for sure. We sure are. Better not for sure. Better not change things. So. so well, you know, you you haven't seen freak out and been in a room when they species of green tree python and green tree python tell them all their stuff is hybrids. It's like that. I thought someone was gonna die. So no, that's that's good. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Poor poor Daniel Natouche. <laughs> Poor Daniel Natouche. <laughs> yeah, well, like he had to get the hell out of town. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it's funny. But I know that on that last, how big does a super dwarf YouTube video that I get? I the first mm-hmm. thing I started with dwarf and super dwarf are marketing terms made up to sell things. You know, and right. of course, immediate immediately every super dwarf breeder you know had a heart attack or whatever. Oh, <laughs> What are you and doing? Then I had to validate my statement. Well, I had to validate my statement, but a lot of people say like that they don't exist. You don't have small retics. And oh, and you, I don't know if you noticed, yeah. but if you peered into some of those cages that I had, I had like hatchling mainlands next to two-year-old super dwarfs that are the same size. You know what I mean? So I, I did but, see that. Yeah, yeah uh, fun they, were, they were very pretty but, animals. It, like I said, I had to run screaming from your booth otherwise bad things were going to happen so <laughs> yeah yeah yep good good stuff well thank you guys i appreciate it um yeah yeah i don't know i'm leaving now so have a good night <laughs> <laughs> all right, see well, you guys okay guys yep. Take care. all right all right are you ready to go full-time now owen <laughs> ready oh, to yeah, give up the insurance me, thing <laughs> i'm gonna wake i'm gonna wake jim up right now and tell him i quit yeah <laughs> yeah I, I I would love to do it full time, but you know I I I gotta maybe one day, but uh, it is what it is. <clears throat> so next week, um, we're talking short tail pythons. Your favorite, Owen. Your f- absolute favorite. With who? Who's coming uh, on this program? Uh, it is Graham from over in the U. I think he's in the UK. Um, nice. Uh. I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, I guess I should have known that before. Oh my <laughs> <No>. God! <laughs> uh, he's he's across the he's across the Atlantic. Let's put it that way. So uh, he's across an ocean. There's several. He just 
So he just hatched out a uh, batik. Oh, that super strength. Yeah. So yeah. yeah yeah, Graham uh, Battenson's been uh, been a longtime supporter of NPR, and he's doing some awesome stuff when it comes for the uh, uh, short tail stuff. So, and we haven't had a short tail guest in a while, so I figured let's let's get him on and talk to him, and uh, so that's next week. <clears throat> so cool, it should be cool. Um, curious to see what his approach is, and you know talk about that cool animal that he hatched out, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, awesome stuff. So for us, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Our email is info at MoreliaPythonRadio. Uh, for myself, EBMorelia.com. And my uh, 2018 breeding page is up to date with the clutch pictures of the animals that are on there. You can go and check it out uh, that were just uh, hatched uh, pre-shed. Um, so you can see what the, I like to do pre and post pics of the, of the shed, but you can check out what hatched out so far. Um, there's my Facebook page, Instagram, and YouTube all under EB Morelia. And there you go. Uh, Northeast Carpet Fest, June 9th, 2018. We got to get cracking on those shirts. We got shirts up for sale. Yeah. Uh, Southern Carpet Fest is May 5th and 6th, but it is no longer at Ryan Sullivan's place. So. <laughs> Not sure. Uh, listening to those guys last night on From the Ground Up, they were talking about it's going to be somewhere, so I don't know. But uh, May 5th and 6th. Okay. Uh, and then the Southwest is April 28th and 29th. They got the auction going on right now. That's in Vista, California. And that's all I got. Um, Garrett, it's a Platinum Motley Tiger Posh Het Annery and Albino. That's what she is. So there you go. I've succeeded. How did so. you know that? I looked it up. Oh. <laughs> looked up the previous Matt sent me. So yeah. Um, okay. But that's what she is. Yeah. <laughs> Again, wasted on me. But anyway, uh, what I got is uh, all the stuff for sale is up on RogueReptiles.com, Rogue-Reptiles.com. Uh, also, get a RogueReptilesFacebook.com. Check out all the stuff we got going on over there. Uh, I have very few animals left for sale. Uh, so if you want anything, don't hesitate. Because uh, a lot of those pairings will not be repeated this year. So uh, definitely jump on it. Um, as far as shows, uh, there's some stuff kind of moving around here personal-wise. So I'm probably not going to make the uh, June Hamburg Reptile show. But uh, I will be there. I will not bend. And I'll probably only be there for early in the morning. So if you want to have any animals delivered at Hamburg, let me know. I will also be at the White Plains Reptile Show this weekend, if you see me, we'll talk some snakes. Want to throw something at me? I just ask that you please don't hit me in the head. Um, <laughs> and uh, definitely try to do that. If you want animals to let, up to let me know uh, before Friday. So uh, that's all we got. And that's all we have for you guys tonight. So we'll catch you all next week for some more Morelia on radio. Good night. <laughs>